Good evening and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And this evening we are going to uh, air a couple of interviews, uh, one with Jeffrey Greer, um, Artistic Director of San Francisco Recovery Theater, uh, which is going to be um, mounting a production of David Mamet's Race on Friday, June 19th, Juneteenth weekend, uh, at in collaboration with Piano Fight. It's going to be a virtual reading of this play, and it's going to start at 7.30, and I'll give you all the information when we uh, we air that interview. Also on Friday evening, Friday is a big day, <laughs> um, the Juneteenth Theater Justice Project is... Um, going to be in collaboration with, I think, 40 Bay Area theaters and quite a few throughout the country, I think maybe 30 or so throughout the country. Um, Everyone is going to be um, uh, collaborating and doing a a stage reading of Vincent Terrell Durham's thrilling and timely play, Polar Bears, Black Boys and Prairie Fringe Orchids. And that's on Friday evening, the 19th at 7 p.m. here in the Bay Area, specific time. And Aldo Billingsley, um, Ph.D., he's the director of the Juneteenth Theater and Justice Project. He's also a professor at Santa Clara University. And um, he is also, um, I'm trying to think, uh, he's got a title. Let me find it. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, with... Um, uh, the um the playground yeah he's also um a uh I'm trying to think where is it he I'm looking for his his title and I cannot find it um anyway Aldo's been on my show quite a bit and I will find his title uh besides being the producer and the leader of the Juneteenth Theater Justice Project but it's going to be really, really great, and um, and we had a nice conversation. And on Friday, we are going to be having a conversation with the playwright himself. I'm so excited um, of this particular work, which was commissioned by um, uh, Playground, and uh, in collaboration and partnership with uh, Lorraine Hansberry Theater and Planet Earth Arts. And uh, so anyway, like I mentioned, um, there are 30 leading theaters from the Bay Area and beyond are going to team up for this particular uh, live stream Zoom reading, and it's free at 7 p.m. Pacific time. So unfortunately, you can't do both. You can't you can't see Race and Polar Bears, Black Boys, and Prairie Fringe Orchids because they're at the same time almost. So you can, you can do the um, Juneteenth Theater Justice Project on Friday night on Juneteenth, and then on Saturday or Sunday or both, you can watch the recorded work. So it's going to be really exciting. So I am going to share with you a pre uh, an interview from hmm, maybe uh, 10 years ago when Race was at ACT, and, uh, and we had a, uh, a wonderful conversation with... Um, the one of the principles in in the work, and before that, I want to read you something that I wrote from the San Francisco 
Bayview newspaper um, in 1999. So it's been uh, about, wow, 20 years. <laughs> and it's called Urban Footprints, the Story of a Community in Danger of Disappearing. And it is a review of Lewis Watts' exhibition at the Oakland Museum at that time. As I sit in the Oaks Gallery, surrounded by what will soon be archival footage in the long reel of tape, also known as Urban Black America, I am intruded on by a white woman in black. Yes, I tell her with my eyes, you are bothering me. Strange how underexposed history can sear raw nerves. You see, I live between these mounted frames, and the urban footprints include some of my own. Indelible, dark, and sticky like damp urine stains on freeway walls and in alleyways, I feel myself vanishing. Even though my clothes still fit and I continue to have to eat breakfast every morning, those strangers with the pale skin and false smiles scare me. It has gotten so I'm afraid to go out at night. Even my daytime is polluted with their presence. This used to be my home, West Oakland. It wasn't much, but it was mine. Hanging in the gallery at the Oakland Museum now, I feel underexposed, like my story, which is about to disappear. Some say that black folks don't have a distinctive culture because we don't have a language or land. Does this mean that all of the folks who are dissolving in the American melting pot lose themselves in both in the broth? Photographer Lewis Watts' current exhibit, Urban Footprints, is a walk through a period of Oakland's black history that preempts every gentrified neighborhood in the Bay Area, and for that matter, America. The shoe sizes might vary, but the blueprint, the assassination, assassination and the unmarked graves are uncannily the same. I'm not sure if I should advise you to bring flowers or put this, put on this grave exhibit. Oh, excuse me. I'm not sure if I should advise you to bring flowers to put on this grave exhibit or pay your respects while you still can find these people, my neighbors, still out and about on West Oakland streets. Watts' intimate photomontage captures quite well the spirit that is West Oakland. My favorites among the 30 images include West Oakland Memorial, Ghost Town, Speak English or Die, Old Oakland, New California Barbershop, New Oakland Train Station, Mrs. Walt, Walt, Mrs. Waters just arrived for her daughter's wedding. Oh, that was one piece. The New Oakland Train Station, colon, Mrs. Waters just arrived for her daughter's wedding. Fresh Killed Poultry, The Wonderful Shadow Play, Up in the Air, West Oakland 1997, or Raccoon on Lease, The Stately 335, Sobrani Park, and The Upper Room, one of many church shots. When I in- entered the Oaks Gallery, I kept looking for Smithsonian credits and the WPA or Works Project Association grants. As I noted Watts' stunning depiction of the neighborhood I call home. In Urban Footprints, a cross between a memorial service and an anthropological study, I saw friends smiling from frames that I no longer see buildings long past their glory and once thriving businesses closed. How often do you enter a museum and see your life laid out before you? Urban Footprints chronicles one of America's biggest blunders, integration, and the subsequent disappearance of a whole race and culture of people. 
Black people keep on repackaging and reselling themselves for pennies to a community that has never recognized our value, let alone acknowledged our contributions. Can you imagine? Some black folks are still willing, excuse me, can you imagine? Some black folks are still asking for a place at the table. Just give this new African woman a place in one of the five southern nation states. Plenty startup cash reparations would do, and get out of my way. Everyone except black folks seem to have an Oakland neighborhood they can call their own. Latinos have the Fruitvale, Asians have Chinatown, and white folks have everything north of Broadway, Montclair, Piedmont, most of Diamond, all of the nice areas of town. Why is it that as soon as the decay is swept up, streets repaved, the environmental pollution hauled away, a few trees planted and a freeway diverted, the speculators move in and black folks are moved out. All black folks seem to rate our refurbished housing projects. What is the unspoken fear? Are we black folks with thriving economies, that is, neighborhoods and communities, so threatening to American society? You know, if these urban footprint funeral marches don't cease, black America will soon be a footnote in history. Check out Lewis Watts' Urban Footprints on exhibit through February 28, 1999 at the Oakland Museum of California, 1000 Oak Street at 10th near Lake Merritt Bart. Um, and then I give the museum hours and things like that and the prices, which are different. <laughs> but, the, but the museum is not open now anyway. Um, Lewis Watts' exhibit is right next door to the annual Day of the Days of the Dead exhibit, Dia de los Muertos. It's a thought-provoking juxtaposition. Make sure you tie your shoes before you walk up the stairs to El Dias de los Muertos. <laughs> so anyway, that's just a flash from the archives that I just um, located recently. And so now I'm going to play this interview um, that uh, it's about it's quite a bit, it's quite a bit ago. <laughs> And um, and then uh, hopefully I'll be able to have everything queued up to just jump right into the um, the interview with Jeffrey Greer. Um, but anyway, uh, Susan Haywood uh, talking about race. So um, so tell me about this play, Race. I mean, what a provocative title. <laughs> <laughs> I like, think yeah. yeah, the playwright's pretty interested in being provocative. <laughs> uh well I guess the uh the short speech is that <laughs> it it takes place in the law offices of Lawson and Brown. Hmm. Uh it's a this part law partnership. Uh one partner's white, one partner's black. And they wake up one morning to find the hottest news story has walked into their office. A rich white billionaire is accused of raping a young black woman. Hmm. And um, it's about the two partners and their recently hired law associate, a black woman, trying to scramble to figure out if they should take the case. If they do take the case, how would they argue it? How would they try to defend him? And um, the situation brings up everybody's particular prejudices and and beliefs that they have about race and kind of um, puts it in the forefront when usually we're able to kind of operate behind closed doors with that kind of thing. Wow, and you are that young woman, huh? That's who you portray. Yeah, I portray the uh, young law associate. Wow, wow, that is so amazing. Gosh, it reminds you of, um, I'm trying to think, um, 
Oh, gosh, there's this play, and I can't remember the name of it. I'll have to go back in my memory banks. But it was based on a, um, uh, I think it was based on a true story, but what happens is um, this woman's sort of, um, well, actually, no, I think it's, I'm trying to think. No, it is. It's another one of Lynn Nottage's, the um, Fabulation. Oh, Fabulation. It's not, that's not a rape. Lynn but Nottage stuff. Yeah, yeah, well, I know you do. You were in Ruined. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so who, were you at Ru- in Ruined that came out here to Berkeley Rep? I was not. I joined the company after they opened in Chicago, mm. and I was able to understudy for them while they were in New York. Um, originally, I had hoped to play the role of Sophie. Oh! Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which, you know, it actually worked out because in the end I got to understudy mm-hmm. uh, Sophie and Salima. Mm. Um, and, oh, my goodness, the third one... My brain. I'm thinking of Sharice, the actress, and that's other characters. Yeah, Sophie Salima um, and Mama Nadi, um, and, and, and then we have um, oh, uh, Josephine, 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 who likes, because um, we just read the play in my class. <laughs> oh, my goodness. How old were the, the students? Uh, college. Oh, that's, oh yeah. I'm so glad. I'm yeah. so glad that that play is, is getting consumed by as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily enough, I got to understudy all the girls, uh, yeah. except from my mom and Adi, and I was able to go on for all three. So You did? A- you played all three of the women? All three. Oh, yeah. my. Wow. Amazing. Whoa. Like, not all in, like, like every night you weren't a different one, right? Not not every <laughs> night. Uh, you know, there was a co- there were a couple times, because the, the cast had been doing the show since Chicago, so they'd been doing the show for months, and... Mm. There, you know, there was a time when they got pretty tired, so I was glad that I was able to step in when they needed me to, so give them a rest, you know. Mm. Wow, wow. And now, what's uh, what's your character's name? Uh, It's funny. My character's name in race is Susan as well. No. (laughs) Oh, Oh, that's too funny. Has this ever happened to you where your character was your name? You know, this is the first time. (laughs) This is the first time. Wow, wow. So what do you do, wear some kind of crystal to separate or what? (laughs) You know what? This this character takes herself into places I would never, ever go. I think, Hmm. you know, she, she has a really deep love of justice. And she's really in love with the law. Mm-hmm. And um, I think part of her journey in the show, I don't think it, it would give away too much enough mm-hmm. to, to talk about how her, she has a real hard time trying to figure out if the law uh, always gives justice. I yeah. think, you know, mm-hmm. at, being a minority in this country, we know that law and justice don't always go hand in hand. So um, for her, this character to put herself in that position to really, really try and make that work, that's something that I give her a lot of credit for. I kind of I stick to the arts and <laughs> you know try to help the system from outside and, and not really from inside. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And is is it a contemporary um, uh, set? Like, it's, are we in 2011? We're in 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, the playwright. It's very interesting. You know, usually you know how it is when you read the beginning of the play. The, playwright can be very specific about the setting and mm-hmm. where it takes place. David Mamet was r- really quiet. He he starts the play, it says interior office, and then the dialogue starts. Hmm. Um, so he's left it way up to uh, the artistic team to decide where we are, what city we are, what time we are. We, we had a lot of conversations about what time period hmm. and uh, what city. And I think we decided, we definitely decided that we're in present day. Um, and we've kind of let the audiences uh, try to figure out where in America we are. I think David Mamet, Mamet might be trying to make a point that it's it's a snapshot of all of America, not one particular place in America. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. There. There. Are, you know, audience talk exchanges because there's there's no intermission on the play. It's what is ninety minutes. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and and I was wondering when I was looking like why, why do they have all these like psychiatrists and attorneys? And now <laughs> I know. Okay, <laughs> makes sense. Like okay, it's really interesting. So Mamet, um, you know, he's you know sort of looks at a lot of controversy. And this particular play hasn't necessarily been well received. Um, if you look at the reviews, I was wondering why did he decide? Why did he want to sort of broach this topic? Um. Uh, you know about race and 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 sexual exploitation. You know, um, you know, in violation. Why do you want to, you know, stage it like this? Why, you know, did he did he talk about you know sort of why this play now? Well, I feel like, well, one, I, I think it's we always have to talk about it. I think we get mm-hmm. ourselves in a lot of trouble when we stop having difficult conversations when we just decide that everything's okay and the status quo should be as it is and we stop challenging ourselves to go deeper. Um, So I think any piece of art um, that makes us ask tough questions, I Mm -hmm. think it's important. If it makes us uncomfortable, whether it's well-received or not, if if it's a conversation starter and, and makes people ask questions that they normally wouldn't have, I think... I think I did my job. I think that's what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think now, more than ever, um, the, working with the play really made me realize that even though the title is race, there's all these things that are mixed up in, you know, one, the lies that we tell ourselves about people based on their race. Mm-hmm and how we present ourselves to the world based on our race. And it's not, you can't just kind of separate that one thing about a person. It's also their social economic status. It's also, you know, are you a male or female? That has a huge effect on, on how you move through the world as well. And so while race might be the the spark or the, the thing that's difficult to talk about, mm-hmm. it opens it up to talk about the conversation to talk about who we are and how we are with each other. Mhm. Right. Yeah. So uh, I was reading that you received your your acting training at Carnegie Mellon University and at the Moscow Art Theater School of Acting. Well, Moscow. I got to spend a, a semester <laughs> in in Russia. So okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So are you a New Yorker? Uh, where are you from? Well, I'm. Well, I'm, I say I'm from the East Coast. I spent okay. <laughs> uh, my my childhood split between Philadelphia, mm-hmm. uh, Pennsylvania, and Charleston, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And then now after school, I'm based in New York. That's kind of where where I'm based. So I'm all over the East Coast. Right. North South. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you have a you know uh, sort of a perspective on on American culture. Well, yeah, a very particular one. Being mm-hmm. out in San Francisco has made me realize just how East Coast I am. I didn't really know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you're you're in the land of Wall Street uh, takeover, right? Occupy Wall Street. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been it's been real interesting to be away from New York and be outside of it to watch that kind of start there and, and spread. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm yeah. excited to go back and see see what it's like firsthand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so have you had taken a stroll over to Occupy San Francisco or caught the bar over to Occupy Oakland? or? You know, I haven't. I've been kind of wrapped up in, in the show, and then when I'm off, I've kind of been enjoying, you know, 
very mindless <laughs> light things. <laughs> but I am planning on getting over there before I leave. Have Have you been able to go? Oh yeah, yeah. There was a speak out against police brutality on Saturday because you know they they exploded noise bombs uh, yeah. in Oakland last week on Monday, and and then they just went crazy with tear gas. You know, injuring lots of people. I saw this woman who was bruised on her leg from a. Um, a rubber bullet, and I didn't. I've never seen what the damage a rubber bullet does. I mean, her whole thigh was black. Oh man. Yeah, yeah, and and then tomorrow is the general strike, calling for everyone in Oakland to not show up for work. Yeah, so I'm giving my students. I tell them, well, if you if you want to take an excuse after, because I'm in Alameda, even though Peralta Community Colleges is Oakland, mm-hmm. I'm in Alameda, and we have two colleges in Oakland and one in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. So I tell them, well, you can take the day off and have an excuse absence. Just write something about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just make it sound good on paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, write my little essay. <laughs> yeah, so it should be interesting to see what happens, like, you know, what percentage of people are going to actually participate in, you know, um, you know, be able to send send the uh, city government a message that, you know, we're not going to tolerate this, you know, this excessive use of force when they could have just spoke to the people, you know, mm-hmm. who were, you know, mm-hmm. occupying, you know, City Hall Plaza. Yeah. So anyway, so it should be interesting, you know, it's about as interesting as, as your play. Well, <laughs> probably much more interesting. <laughs> well, sort of on different different type of interests. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, one thinks about um, you know rape as as a weapon of war or a tool to use to manipulate and control one's movement, mm-hmm. and 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 you think people are like you think about you know this character you're portraying. You know, she's at the top of her game. She's an attorney, but yet she's not insulated or safe from that. Um, you know, what does that say about, you know, our society? What does that say about, you know, the world we live in? And, uh, yeah, I was wondering, you know, sort of what do you think about that? Tell us more about your character. Oh, wow, that was a lot. Um, you can I, take it off in little pieces. Uh, <laughs> well, I think, <clears throat> and I guess I could start with the using, you know, rape as as a weapon of war. Mm-hmm. Um without giving away too much of, you know, what happens in the show, the Mm -hmm. what, oh gosh, how do I say this? Um, The sexual relationship, the, okay, I'll I'll say it like this. I was, uh, I attended a talk back with a whole lot of lawyers after the show, after Mm -hmm. one performance, and Mm -hmm. one female lawyer brought up the idea that the show talks about the definition of rape. Uh, for a long time, rape was, uh, you know, someone, a man physically forcing a woman to engage in intercourse. And then the term date rape came along and said that, you know, if someone you knew forced you to have sex, that included rape as well. And then after that, it was, you know, the idea that a husband could rape his wife. You know, for a long time, it was it was just a husband getting what he deserved, you know. And in this instance, the lawyer said that, you know, maybe the idea of, Engaging in, you know, paying for sex is another form of rape. If you've got a woman who has no other option to support herself but then to sell her body, is that another form of rape and exploitation? Hmm. Um, so that, when she brought up that point, that was a very interesting, you know, topic to bring up to see if we can expand that idea of of rape and maybe 
go towards ending the sex trade in general, <laughs> mm-hmm. which which I would certainly uh, be be supportive of. So there's, I think that is one thing. I, I think, you know, this character, she knew when she was signing up to be a lawyer that she was entering a man's world. You know, there's an old boys club. There's going to be a very long, long climb up a very long mountain that's stacked against her. Um, so I think she's very sensitive of her position in this world as a woman and as a black woman. I think a lot of people, depending on who they are and what they bring to the show, are going to decide that she's either overly sensitive because of who she is or that she is right on the money and that she should be speaking up and speaking out about the prejudices that are against black people and women in, in that kind of environment. Hmm. So it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. Was she surprised um, at the, you know, at her reception? Um, this woman, I was looking at some of the other cast. Um, she could talk about the ensemble, mm-hmm. you know, who the other uh, members are of the cast. She's not the only black person um, in the, in the um, in the firm. That's great. Uh, she's the only woman, but she. Well, I don't know, maybe not, but maybe they're mentioned well, of women. But we've decided that she is. We've decided that oh. it's just a very small. Uh, uh, law firm uh, consisting of the three lawyers. Okay, okay, and I don't know if it's an old law firm firm that's been around for a while, and she's like sort of doing. I mean, by them hiring her, they're doing something, or, or maybe not. Have you decided on that too? We did. We talked about it. Uh, there's one line in the play that uh, says uh, the two partners have been running the firm for 20 years. Okay. So while it it wouldn't be old money, you know, one of those generational old firms mm-hmm. um it's the the culmination of these two partners life's work they've worked together for 20 years and i do think that bringing on some fresh blood a young associate a female associate for them is making a large move into into the future for them mm-hmm. um and i and i'm excited to hear what you have to say about the relationship between you know, the young black woman and the older, more established black man mm-hmm. in their relationship. It's There's definitely a, at least a generational gap um, that causes tension in their relationship and perhaps a gender-based one as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so is she naive or does she know sort of what she's up against with regards to being an attorney in the first place? And and then going into this all male environment. Well, it goes back and forth. It's one of the, I don't know. It's one of the hard things about this show, and one of the fun things about this show is that <laughs> Mamet gives you clues or 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 enough you know meat to tell whatever story you want. I was working with the casting director on this piece, and he said, it's a choose-your-own-adventure. <laughs> <laughs> because in one scene, someone will say something that's like, well, that's an incredibly naive thought. you got to be kidding me. And then in the very next scene, there'll be a very sophisticated, worldly, almost cynical point of view expressed by the same character. Mm. So it's like, how do you reconcile those two points of view in one character? It's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a part of her that, and maybe it's a part of America, too. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a metaphor for how naive, on one hand, America can be sometimes, but also how really cynical and harsh and and um, and cold America can be as well. So mm-hmm. I think, personally, my character flips back and forth. There are some things that she believes very, very deeply and perhaps is naive about, and then there are other things that she's 
very hard and cynical and unchanging about as well. Mm-hmm. Well, like people. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Yeah, one of our honors, though, we're speaking to uh, Susan Hayward, Hayward who, um, who portrays um, Susan uh, in, in Race. And uh, Race is being performed October, started open on October 21st, and it continues through November 13th, real short run, mm-hmm. at the American Conservatory Theater, 415 Gary Street in San Francisco. And uh, you can visit the website, act-sf.org, or call 415-749-2228. Um, you have Tuesday performances, huh? Sorry? Did I notice that you have Tuesday performances or not? We do. We have Tuesday performances. They are earlier than the rest of the week. I believe they're at 7 p.m. Right, right, yeah. Uh, I, um, in closing, I just wanted to mention Haiti because uh, we're coming on the um, the one-year anniversary of the earthquake, and people are still not housed, and, and a lot of women um, are are vulnerable to, to rape. I mean, they were vulnerable other under previous administrations because rape is used as a as a way to intimidate women who are courageous and active in, in you know, in in sort of having a say around, you know, what goes on in their lives and what they want to see in their country. And so I met women when I visited last year who have been raped multiple times under, you know, before the earthquake and, you know, the various administrations, um, they were raped. And and then I met really young girls who were raped, you know, who are in the camps. And they've got two organizations um, where the women have actually gone to the U.N. and told their stories uh, to the U.N. to get, you know, this documented about, you know, rape uh, in the camps and, and rape being used, again, as a tool of suppression of, of women's voices. And they have these whistles that they blow so that if, if they blow the whistle, somebody might be able to come in and intervene and, and assist mm-hmm. them. But a lot of times when I, when I, spoke, when I speak to, you know, various Haitians um, visiting the United States, you know, activists, you know, people that are lava loss or, you know, not necessarily supportive of the regimes that we're in cahoots with, like the United States, mm-hmm. um, they would talk about rule of law and and how, you know, one must uphold the rule of law if you want to have any kind of order in society. And I just want to know if you, if, um, you know, we're talking about your your character, Susan, um, sort of why why did she decide to go into law? Um, was it was it because she wanted to serve humanity, like she a constitutional lawyer, and <laughs> or, or did she want to make the money? Did she want to move up in the power structure? Because lawyers are pretty important. A lot of a lot of you know our presidents were attorneys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, why why did she decide to do this? Um, yeah, there's a a line in the show mm-hmm. uh, that the line is I thought. It's of Susan's, and she says, I thought lawyers existed to seek justice. Mm, okay. And it's really interesting in the way Mamet wrote it, too, because he's capitalized lawyers, and he's capitalized the J in justice as well. Mm. And so I feel like for, for Susan, it was a hook into why she thinks lawyers exist. Um, I think it's right on the money. It was upholding the rule of the law and that the law is the practical form of justice, and it's to protect justice and to seek it out um, wherever it may be lacking. And I think that's why she got into law, and I think that's why this case is so very difficult for her because justice, with this particular case, it's so convoluted. Mm -hmm. So I definitely think she got into law to, to seek justice. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So, so describe sort of like the mood of the piece. Is it is it really um, serious? Because um, I was reading something in the press release. I'm like. Hilarious. Hmm. I know, right? That's exactly what I thought when I. Oh my goodness! When I first heard the the what's the word? The setup mm-hmm. and the setting for the show. I was like, you got it. How is this a comedy? How can it be funny? Yeah. Um. In rehearsals, we weren't sure. We were pretty convinced we had a tragedy on our hands, mm-hmm. and we rehearsed it as such. Okay. And so we were actually very surprised when we first put it up in front of an audience. It was very serious, very fast paced, very. Mm-hmm. Dark, we thought, and people were laughing. People laugh. People laugh. People have wow. had a really good time. So you have a good time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, uh. so I'm, I'm wondering. I'm still <laughs> not sure why. I'm not sure if it's because these characters say some things to each other that I think no one would ever say in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some shocking, terrible things, but you know, I guess it's the same way in in. I don't know, in some of our, our funniest sitcoms, when people say outrageous things, mm-hmm. we either laugh out of recognizing that some people think that or, or out of being uncomfortable. Um, but people people certainly laugh and have, and I, I'm not quite sure why. But I'd love to hear your thoughts. Okay, okay. Yeah, when I saw that, I thought, well, this is not a myth. I mean, that's what she said, because I mean, I'm sure they didn't make a mistake, because this yeah, is the artistic director. They wouldn't mm-hmm. misquote Carrie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hilarious. Okay. Mm. I'd also be interested to see if, you know, if, if the more African Americans we got in, in that audience, mm-hmm. um, where the laughs would come and from yeah. whom they would come. You know, mm-hmm. we all bring different things into into a theater when we come, and so I'd be very interested in seeing what a very mixed audience laughed at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely um, I will let you know after I see it tomorrow evening. Um, oh, great. Yeah. Uh, be sure to come around, uh, you oh, know, mm-hmm. to the to the stage door, mm-hmm. and they'll let you in, and we can, you know, chat mm-hmm. up in the green room. And, oh, and that'd be chat. super. <laughs> okay, wow, this has been so wonderful. Um, I'm sorry I have, to, I have to run off to a class um, oh, so we can have another another conversation at some other time about, you know, why you just decided to be an actress in the first place. Oh, dear, that's a long conversation. Let's do it. Okay, well, maybe we can, uh, maybe once I see the the play, maybe we could talk again. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love <laughs> All right, to. you take care, and I look forward to meeting you tomorrow. <laughs> you too, Wanda. Okay, right. then. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Uh, that was a really wonderful conversation. And I was just thinking, since we were talking about uh, Ruined, uh, I actually have an interview <laughs> that was broadcast um I guess I'm not sure. Uh, oh yeah, in July, July 13th, 2011. All this archival stuff. So I'm going to play a little bit of Ruined um, while we wait for um, this uh, interview with Jeffrey to upload, and then uh, we're going to close with the interview um, with uh, Aldo. So um, yeah, so let's uh, let's look up, let's look at this interview um, that I did a while back. On ruined, so let's listen and see what I see what happened, what we talked about, who was on the who was on the air with me. <laughs> Ever hear somebody say we can do this the easy way or we can do it the hard way? I mean, what kind of a choice is that? At Geico.com, everything's easy. Easy to see how much you could save on car insurance. Easy to go paperless by automatic. Oh, wow! There's a commercial. 
Interesting. Okay, I don't understand that one. Yeah, I don't know where the commercial came from. So we will play this rebroadcast and see what that sounds like. Maybe I took out You are so in my soul. You're in my head. You have taken all my blues and you turned it red. Shall I catch you as you charge up from the dust? Shall I rise to your grave? Yeah, yeah, I must. So, today I promise forever, even though today will end, tomorrow may be never, so I'll pray for today Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, the Black Arts and Culture Program with the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Toshi Reagan and It Gets Better. And you will understand the relevance of that tune. <laughs> when we talk to our, our guests um, who are a part of the Berkeley Repertory Theater in, in co-production with Huntington Theater Company and La Jala Playhouse, presenting Lynn Novage's Pulitzer Prize winning play Ruined at Berkeley Repertory Theater at the Rota Theater on mainstays through April 10th. So I want to welcome Oberon K.A. Ejipon, who yes. uh, portrays the character Christian. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and Tony Patano. Is it Patano? Is that correct? It's Tony? Patano. You said it correctly. Oh, well, yeah. first try. Excellent. <laughs> I practiced Oberon. We, like, did rehearsal before we went on. Yeah, you did pretty well, actually. Tony is... Yeah, thank you. And Mom, and Tony is Mama Nadi, and she is like, oh, my God, we are so happy that Mama Nadi and Christian are part of Ruined. I'm so happy that Lynn Nadi created you all because it made it so that I could live through the play. Yeah, but, yeah I'm glad she created us, too. Um, but it's yeah. definitely doing honor, uh, paying homage and honor to these beautiful women and, and people of the Congo who are living daily um, such atrocities, and yet there is hope and um, and just uh, the nature of being, um, and they uh, their beautiful uh, spirits shine. So it's exciting. It's an exciting piece. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Lynn Otis says that um, in ruin, the women do a fragile dance between hope and disillusionment in an attempt to navigate life on the edge of an unforgiving conflict. And she says she was fueled by her desire to tell the story of war, but through the eyes of women who, as we know, rarely start conflicts but inevitably find themselves right smack in the middle of them. And she said she was interested in giving voice and audience to African women living in the shadows of war. So I was wondering, um, what um, what brought you to, to the play, Tony? Um, and, you know, and why, why Mama Nadi? She carries so much of, of the piece insofar as her creating this oasis within this... Uh, really catastrophic uh, zone, oh, and the women yeah. that come to her are broken, and right. she repairs. Well, um, I think for the reasons you just said, that's that's one of the reasons why. Um, I was fortunate enough to see uh, this beautiful show uh, in its first incarnation in New York City. I have a good f- couple of good friends who uh, were in the original production, 
And um, I was just blown away by uh, just the simplicity of of the piece. Uh, it, it was in a much smaller venue. Um, and just the power of, of the words and uh, Lynn's journey in this particular play. Um, and the rare uh, times that women of my uh, age and and of you know, Africa, whether it's African American or African descent, get a chance to play such an epic uh, role. Um, men over the years get to play Willie Loman or Richard III and all of those wonderful uh, lead roles in, in these fabulously epic dramas. Um, and it's rare that we um, get that opportunity um, as black actresses. And uh, so that was also a wonderful draw. And this is a beautiful, beautiful character and an amazing play. And uh, all of those things were things that I wanted to uh, to be a part of. Um, and more, like I said, more than anything, the challenge of it is just, uh, it's, it's just irresistible. So very mm-hmm. fortunate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And Oberon, your character, Christian, yep. he is such a free radical. Talk about him and how you came to um, create such a remarkable man on stage for us. Oh, thank you. That's a whole lot to say, but I um I actually <laughs> never I actually never saw the play before. Um, mm. I've been reading about it, uh, the reviews. Uh, I actually have I think about two friends in the original production, and mm. uh, I've been reading on Wikipedia about it and why uh, Lynnadich uh, decided to do it. Um, and uh, when I did the audition, I when I got it and the rehearsal, that was kind of like the first time I've actually really seen Christian um, only through my eyes and um, in doing this play I modeled it after um, Patrice Lumumba um, oh. who was part of right who was actually part of the, um, uh, the uh, who was the Prime Minister of um, actually the Republic of Congo I think, uh, mm-hmm. May 1960 and um, I started to study him and how he um, how he worked, and he was definitely uh, a poet and uh, intelligent man who saw the inside of things, and um, that's what I used as my character. Um, Christian is a man who understands the future as well as the present and also the past. Um, He understands cause and effect, and he's very alert about what's going on within the play, even before it happens. Um, So, you know, he's he's a romantic man who who tries to uh, always give that message of hope to um, that beautiful Mama Nadi of hers. Um, mm-hmm. actually, <laughs> and he always tries to let her know that, you know, the, the future is, is promising. And the same way Patrice Lumumba did that um, around in, uh, May 1960 or so and went on to June 1960 to um, create the independence of uh, the Congo. Um, mm-hmm. it, it had to be a person who understood the future, who under who believed in dreams, and was very insightful for something like that to happen or to occur. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I um, let me tell our audience a little bit about both of you um, before we continue on with with the story. Um, Tony, I saw you in Polk County. Mm-hmm. I was in the house. I came twice to see that play. It was so wonderful. <laughs> Laura Neal Hurston's Lost East. That was wonderful. Yeah. And um, I, I think, sorry, go ahead. 
No, I think I, I came in on that one a little late in the process. Uh, I replaced one of uh, a, a wonderful actress, um, Linda Gravatt, um, and it was right before I uh, started uh, filming Weeds here um, uh, later on in uh, mm-hmm. a series of several years ago. So it, at, at Berkeley was really wonderful, which was one of the reasons, too, that I was, was uh, so... Um, Read, you know, readily um, accepting of, of doing this particular tour so in mm-hmm. for community. Right, yeah. So when you're not in Berkeley, are you in New York? I am. I, I reside in New York uh, for the most part. Uh, but again, work takes you everywhere, and that's uh, been a blessing as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, primarily Manhattan, and um, mm-hmm. as as are uh, the majority of, of our cast members, um, Oberon, I think, uh, hails from Philadelphia area right now, but he also okay. was a New York originate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm actually wow, both y'all have New York and Philly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, Tony, it says you were also seen on Broadway uh, in 45 seconds from Broadway. Um, and your numerous off-Broadway and regional productions include the National Tour of Legends and, most recently, Neighbors at the Public. Uh, you garnered multiple nominations and a Nomic Vision Award for your performance as uh, Helia James Helia on James. Showtime. Yeah. We, mm-hmm. right. Tell me again how you pronounce it. Uh, Helia James on Weeds, yeah. Helia James, uh, yeah. And you said uh, that was that was filmed here? That's it, yeah, and, and uh, it's still uh, a show that's uh, airing on Showtime. Uh, this is mm-hmm. um, getting ready to go into its uh, seventh season um, uh, oh, wow. as a wow. series. Yeah, mm-hmm. I um, was on the first three years of it, and, uh, uh, you know, my character is still alive. We're just, uh, you know, who knows when I might pop up again. But, uh, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's been, it's been a wonderful journey. I, I really enjoy doing challenging roles, roles that, um, mm-hmm. you know, force people – um, and myself to uh, stretch and think um, that sometimes challenges uh, people's ideas of what is right, moral, um, their belief systems, and, you know, it really forces you to confront who you are in the world. And um, I think this play does that um, in spades. And, um, you know, I don't think that there's a person who leaves the theater unchanged, um, people have very strong reactions to this play, um, and I think Lynn does a beautiful job of not preaching and proselytizing, but presenting what is and allowing the characters, uh, both positive um, in their aspects and their foibles, uh, live in the same human being, and that makes for rich, rich characterization. Um, as lovely and wonderful as Christian's character is, he also has a dark side, as um, oh, yeah. as dark and, and um, uh, bold as Mama Nadi is, she also has amazing compassion and uh, a high spirit. Um, and these women who uh, come in um, ruined and broken down, you see the joy and the simplicity of reading a romance novel or bickering over a magazine, uh, the common mm-hmm. everyday um, livelihood that uh, we all seek. So uh, I, I just think it's a terrific, terrific play for for anyone um, who's looking for uh, an evening in the theater that's not going to allow them to sit idly, but but to genuinely drink in something that's happening right now um, and just a peek into the human spirit. It's it's a beautiful piece, mm-hmm. and I'm excited to be a part of it. 
I'm mm. like, yeah, girl, I totally can get into this. I used to subscribe to the romance novels. <laughs> and I remember when they had the first black one, a friend of oh, mine, right um, yeah, Elsie, um, wrote it. Uh, she, yeah. she she passed a few years ago, but um, oh. I remember when that one came out, a black person wrote a romance novel. We, like, we bought it. My ex-husband bought it for me right away because he knew I would love it. Right, <laughs> right. And I read it, and read it, and read it, and read it. Uh, yeah, totally, totally. And when I was in, in uh, graduate school, it's really funny. We uh, we actually um, did this. Uh, um, I had a class where we were looking at uh, romance writers mm-hmm. and looking at the writer and the law, which was kind of interesting. But I got a chance to actually write about my my uh, fascination with romance fiction. Um, but then, Oberon's off credit off Broadway credits include The Blacks and Mother Courage at Classic Stage Company and Classical Theater Harlem, Cellophane and Like I Say at the Fleet Theater, The Handler Project at La Mama Experimental Theater Club, Hieroglyphic Graffiti at the Hip Hop Theater Festival. Now that's really intriguing. I'm interested in that. Yeah, yeah, because you are a poet. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, I Christian is a poet. Yeah, yeah. And Oya, which sounds really good. I love Oya, the goddess of the the winds and the storms and the hurricanes. Because I'm from New Orleans, I just love mm. Oya. Oh, okay. So you're into creator. the recent spirits. Yeah. Oh, totally, child. Totally. When I was reading, I was like, oh, <laughs> yes, so nice. Because I had to like decide who did I want to speak to. I couldn't speak to everybody, uh, the publicist told me. So I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I can only speak to two people. Well, heck, oh. darn. Okay, well, I said, well, I guess I'll speak to the two people that are like the stars. But everybody's oh, a star because it's, it's, it's an ensemble piece. So it's like, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yep. yeah. So it's like, heck, oh, well. Um, maybe the two <laughs> elders then. But you're not actually the elders necessarily because the bad guys are like your peers. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk. It, we could talk about yeah, it's that. It's hard guys. to know. It's hard to know. But that's. I'm. Mm-hmm. I'm really. I'm glad that you uh, are sharing this. This. This piece uh, with everyone mm-hmm. because it's. It's an important work. It really is. Oh. It didn't. Yeah. yeah. You know, they um, adjusted the rules. It seems for the Pulitzer uh, just to honor mm-hmm. this piece. You know, because really. Um, Oh. Well, I, I say that in, in to say that mostly posters about um, American topic. Uh, you know, oh. anything, but uh, but this play is so far-reaching, and we are such a global community. And the topic of of u- the use of coltan and and Western influence in uh, this region, um, you know, it does qualify to that extent. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, but there is an American character in the play. I don't know if you remember um, who that is. <laughs> you mean you mean the man who um uh who Who's um I guess um Josephine's um potential um the it's actually uh, the, the aid worker when he comes in to uh <laughs> to try to get uh, uh to get uh, him out actually to get yeah when, towards oh, when yeah. the aid oh, worker is, is an American he's American. <laughs> Oh, yeah. he's an American kid. Oh. But I just, oh, okay. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Bitch. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't know he was American. Um, yes. Well, he should have saved everybody. Working. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, at least tries to come in and, and uh, gets uh, yeah. the um, one person, Mr. Harari's character. Uh, to, to Mr. Harari is me saving. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's saving. saving. 
Well, yeah, yeah true. And, and I guess Mama Nadi sort of um, her philosophy is that you have to save yourself, right? Well, um, yeah, you know, I mean, and, you would, yeah. I mean, like, and, and herself is all these girls and these women mm-hmm. that survival you know, yeah. that she has adopted as her family. Yeah, and uh, but that's you know that's the case with I guess all of us in in the world to some degree. Um, you know, Christian's wonderful character, as he says, uh, attempts mm-hmm. to infuse hope in in Mama Nadi's very uh, pessimistic and sort of dry way of of dealing with things. But she has her reasons for not, um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, daily uh, seeking that. Uh, Because, uh, again, you know, um, if you hold up high expectation and, you know, it gets dashed again and again, you know, it becomes a a problem. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she is certainly a realist. yeah, and um, and and she's honest, which is good. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't she doesn't have the girls. She's not. They're not hostage. They are not slaves or enslaved. Um, she's really frank with them about like when she lays it out to you know Sophie, and um, and uh, Salima. You know when they come into the uh, uh, to to the uh, what's the name of the the uh, the, uh, the, 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 the brothel thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the bravo. Uh and I wanna admit to comment sort of like interrupting myself because the art is just so phenomenal. Can you talk about the set? It's so beautiful. You know, where where Mama Nadi's Bravo is. It's so pretty. I mean like from the floors that talk about HIV and AIDS and, and condoms to you know, the whole the set is just so gorgeous. Um right in the middle the, of the jungle. Yeah, Clint Ramos yeah. is a uh, phenomenal designer he's a brilliant mm-hmm. human being and a loving 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 man um he actually designed a similar set uh in the uh osf production organ shakespeare festival production as well as ours and it really mm-hmm. is if you look at the set very very closely um it's just found objects um you know one that one might have uh remnants of what's left from cargo or drop-offs or planes or whatever. Um, but it does uh, speak to elements of, of Af- uh, things that are going on in Africa, like, as you said, um, um, AIDS uh, uh, ribbons or the, uh, or sides of, of packages, whatever newspapers and things that one might have to patch up or to create sort of a makeshift shack, so to speak. Um, there are Christmas lights, um, you know, uh, leftover boards uh, that might have been come come off of crates, and um, in the uh, platforms are what seems to be layers and layers of garbage or just whatever that can be stuffed into cracks um, and compressed down. And so, design-wise, it's the idea that you know um, that there's just leftover residual. Um, extra colorful objects in that way, but literally uh, compressed under our feet. Um, uh, this beautiful place, uh, you know, has been contaminated, has been added to, has been, you know, um, and yet we all stand on it and survive. Uh, we take something, make a, a way out of no way. We take that which is garbage and cast off and turn it into something uh, that's sturdy and strong uh, for us to uh to carry forth and carry on. Um, and, again, it, it speaks to the people. I mean, every element of this show, from the music, the uh, the writing, um, all the things that Liesl Tommy believes as an African woman, 
um, she's from South Africa. She, you know, with her creative team, uh, poured her, you know, they it, it's very thoughtful, and it, it's there for a reason. There's nothing on that stage that isn't put there with purpose. And um, mm-hmm. and it's really lovely. It, it really is. Um, there's also a sort of secret, too. If you look closely, there's these little stuffed monkeys, and I always try to find a new monkey every day. And they're just little stuffed <laughs> animals that are stuffed in the cracks of the thing, and they're colorful. So if you ever get to get back by and you get to sort of peek at the stage, there's little monkeys in there all the way through, and it's, it's fun. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So one of the monkeys are, you know, sort of that... That see no evil, speak no evil, hear no evil. Sure, I'm sure. I'm sure that's probably Maybe. part of it. <laughs> uh, um, interesting. Oh, I have to look at the monkeys. I wonder. So, what what are monkeys? You know, I know animals um, have like their symbols for different types of of um, sort of energy or whatever. And mm-hmm. is, is there like something that a monkey stands for? I don't know. To be honest with you, I think it may have been the playfulness of it all for him uh, because they're all different colors. There literally are little stuffed animals. Um, But but truthfully... you know, unless you, I mean, they're literally candy wrappers. There's every every matter of of, of <laughs> garbage in there. But um, yeah, I, I think you know, we 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 mentioned sort of the mischievousness of of uh, monkeys that are in the, the the Congo. You know, stealing things and taking uh, food that isn't theirs. You know, and all of that. And you can sort of uh, parallel that with. Um, what people are doing in the Congo, coming in and sort of taking over and stealing uh, resources, and um, you know, the heart of the of the Congo. You know, it's the richest, poorest place in the world. You know, um, such beautiful wealth and and visual uh, wealth, um, as well as coltan and diamonds and everything. Uh, and people come in and uh, take it and make it their own uh, with little compensation. And as you say, uh, young boys and families are broken apart and women pay the price. Um, and um, also that we can have cell phones and and Nintendo Wii's and all of those wonderful things that we uh, uh, benefit from. So it's just being mm-hmm. conscious and aware. Um, right. You know, Oberon, um, I, I, we were, t- I think we were talking earlier on about whether all of us were aware when we started off this process um, of the depth uh, with which uh, this play goes. And um, mm-hmm. um, you were talking about your research into something. Yeah, um, yeah, I actually even realized that um, the Congo, um, the actual Colton, uh, that that mineral mm-hmm. is very is a big part of the civil wars that are going on right now. Um, Colton, to my understanding, is uh, it's like a black, dull, metallic mineral or so. And uh, what happens is it's um, there's um, a metal called tetalum that's extract from the, extracted from the actual mineral. And they use the tetalum as a, a, a capacitor for a lot of the motherboards, for um, video game systems, cell phones. So what it does, it, it kind of it regulates the power source so that the av- actual apparatus doesn't overheat. So, and that's something that's very important, especially in, like, in the electronic world. Um, it is also um, corrosion, um, oh, what's that called, corrosion. It, 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 it's, um, 
I'm sorry. Well, it allows us to carry smaller yeah. and smaller computers in our pockets. And, right, uh, basically. So that's a very and, valuable thing. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. and it's taking precedence over the people. Uh, certainly, certainly. Um, Overall, I wanted to, to get yep. back to you um, with regards to the poetry, um, and uh, and also wanted to mention that uh, you trained at Lola Louise Creative and Performing Arts Studio, uh, Oxford University and Howard University, and um, you know your your character. He's really sensitive, and he's 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 a poet, and and. He travels. He's like a traveling salesman, and mm-hmm. and he brings, um, you know, Mamanati chocolate, and mm-hmm. um, and it's something that people don't get a lot of, and you know, <laughs> in in, uh, in Eastern Congo or in Congo period, or when there's a war, like how many of us get chocolate delivered to our doors? I mean, there were no roses, but there was chocolate, which is okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you just talk about about your character's uh, sensitivity? And in light of the other men, like, for instance, there are some other love stories. Salima uh, and her husband are in love with each other. Uh, you know, he's a soldier, um, and he's looking for his wife. And then you have these commander generals that come through with, you know, the soldiers. And then you have two warring camps. You've got the official, you know, government-sanctioned uh, army and the militia, and you've got the other folks that are like, um, the gorillas, Rebel. and Rebel. neither group treats the women any differently. No. Um, and, and you mentioned, um, uh, let's see, you mentioned Tony about how your character says leave the bullets at the bar, and everybody wants to have a good time. So you have all this wine flowing, so people are getting inebriated and mm-hmm. drunk. And, and so then we look at, you know, can you can you fight a war um, sober, or do you have to be? high to be able to do the things you do. So the whole idea of uh, sobriety and 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 bravery and brutality and intoxication. Well mm-hmm. you sort of play with that a little bit for me, um, Oberon and, and and Tony. Well I um I look at Christian as a very sensitive man, um, who's very open um to the world and um in order to even recite poetry um, with emotion and feeling, you have to open yourself up. And I think he's a very intelligent man who's, you know, he's a professor. He's read a number of books, um, he knows a number of authors, and he's very insightful and he understands what is to come, uh, which is so important about this character um, because, like I said before, he brings a message of hope. In uh, the initial stages of understanding this character, um, Lisa Tommy gave us a series of like information, uh, research information. We actually sat down and we we listened to um, rape stories of some of the women oh. of the Congo, and which I don't know about you, but you want, if you want to see a grown man cry, put him in front of a set and let him listen to a number of rape stories. Um, I'm, you know, not only am I a father, um, but I'm also, you know, a husband and, you know, I'm a son of a mother and I'm very protective of the women in my family. And to see women being destroyed or disgraced, it it not only somewhat brings a, a, a feeling of hurt, but also it brings in this anger and this, is turmoil, and I'm thinking, what would I be? What would I do as Oberon myself if I was faced with all of these uh, atrocities in front of my face, and there was really nothing I can do about it? 
I knew how it started. I know what it's about to be. I know what could happen. What can I do? And that's where I think that he got to, the Christian got to a point where he started to drink. Um, drinking usually to a lot of people um, or any other vice is used as an escape. And I think that for my character, I put it in myself that I just thought that, well, maybe that was it. Like, why why did he drink? Why would he do that? Um, and he needed to drink in order to escape what was going on. And then when he got everything back together, he realized that, that he would need to take a stance, that he would need to change things. And the only way that I think he feels uh, a way to change is through Mama Nadi. Um, she, she's kind of like, she's the boss of everything. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I decided to um, to take, a, to take a, a time out to uh, understand exactly what he was saying in certain words, there were there's the one line that he says, um, last time I had a drink, I lost several years of my life. So um, mm-hmm. Lynn Nottage actually puts certain passages in there to let you understand that um, these are things, these are his vices um, that he used to escape. Um, so, and it's the same. That, uh, sorry? I was just saying it was the same uh, thing, the idea of what you were saying about war and what people have to do and, and the exact uh, same way that Christian uh, copes and handles himself, um, these rebel soldiers and even the government soldiers too, um, they're a part of the same um, pathology, uh, meaning, you know, some of these rebel soldiers are young children. They're they're ripped away from their families at four and five years old. Some of them forced to commit atrocities against their families and, and in essence, destroying the minds of these young men um, in order to create war machines. Um, And so as a way of coping, uh, these young boys and these men, you know, they are, they do go and and, uh, get high. Uh, They have a substance called brown brown, which is a mixture of uh, cocaine and uh, gunpowder uh, that they snort before they go off to uh, do these raids and this this heinousness. Um, and so, in a in a lot of ways, they are also a um, a victim of of just the the brokenness of of what war creates and and um, over uh, these minerals and um, different things. People they go into these mining mining towns. Um, and basically turn the miners into slaves. Uh, um, the government soldiers, uh, at one point, you know, the government people are trying to go in to help, um, and they ask the powers that be to, uh, you know, uh, well, you've got to pay them, you've got to feed them, you've got to supply them. What do we need to pay them for? They've got guns. So what does that mean? That means that these men are also destined for corruption because you get out there, you have no food, you don't have any, and you're expected to protect people or fight for people, um, and nobody's give, you're, you don't have anything to support you. So what happens? They start to take, um, and that's it just begins a, another cycle of abuse. Um, you see that there's profit out there because the coal tan is worth something or the mining towns are worth something. You go in, you corrupt, you, you use them, and then you sell those things, and it just becomes an ever-ending cycle of from one side to the next to the next, uh, all for uh, profit, um, and 
you know, again, it's it's just a messy, heinous situation, um, and uh, with with lots of villains and lots of victims, all of them the same. And um, you know, there's a the thought and the idea that these women, once they're uh, sort of abused or raped, uh, they get turned away from their families. Well, if you look at some uh, what, how villages constructed, you know, women are the backbone of the village. Without the women who raise the children, who actually plant and harvest the the food, the crops, uh, carry them to market, uh, sell them at market, carry them back, you know, they are the economic backbone, survival, nurturing of the village. If you uh, corrupt the women um, by uh, ruining them, uh, that is how uh, villages and society break down. So, uh, by the same token, if these women are hurt or damaged or uh, broken down mentally, spiritually, um, and physically, um, there's no money for medication. There's no way of getting people to doctors. They're a burden on the community because if you can't work, what happens? So in an essence, you know, as much as we villainize the idea that they turn these women away, in some ways there's no other choice but to do that. You know, so it's 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 – you know, there's a way of looking at all of these things and understanding that, yes, there are villains, and yet there is a method behind the the heinousness that happens. Um, and these men in our play, like Oberon said, who have children and wives and families, have to do portray this night after night, and it's, it's spirit-breaking. Um, and so I am so grateful for them because they do their job so well. It allows... Um, the four women in this play, uh, as well as Christian's character, um, to to uh, reflect that other side so beautifully of of hope and uh, and the sympathy that these women in this play get are all because these men are brave enough to go there to that dark space um, with yeah. the same you know um, love that they have for their own families, and yet they have to do this night after night, um, and it's yeah. difficult. Because they don't get the love as as much so, you know, and they're a lot brilliant. Of crying moments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and sometimes they have to do it twice in one day when you all have oh, that. Oh gosh. Yeah. Well, this yeah, week we yeah, have to do Thursdays it. and Saturdays yeah. and Sundays. Yeah. <laughs> this week oh we do God. nine shows. Nine shows a week. <laughs> yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to mention yeah. um and um. And I'm going to give you a whole lot at one time, and I'll come back. But <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you, each of you to uh, talk about, you know, what, what does it mean to be ruined? Uh, because when I left the play, I, I had, like, a lot of different definitions. I'm ruined on a lot of levels. I was thinking about when one loses his or her humanity, then truly that person is ruined. And then I thought about sort of the physical physicality of a ruined body or a harmed body. Um, I also want to mention, um, uh, Oberon, I was wondering if, uh, the the stories that you were listening to were those some of the stories that Eve Ensler collected when she she did a whole lot around East Congo and I was wondering um, if if any of those were the stories that she collected um, in her um, sort of you know sort of mining uh, sort of different kinds of situations to be able to tell the story so that we could hear it in the in the voices of the people or the women in particular that have been affected um, and and then I wanted to say also that. Uh, I um, I love the scene when um, Pascal Armand's uh, character Salima speaks mm-hmm. about the day she was raped, how how beautiful and that beautiful bird, and 
Uh, and I also like the way that um, Sophie, Carla, Darren, uh, Sophie comforts her because she is trying to figure out what she did wrong to get raped. It's like, you didn't do anything. <laughs> you know, you are a victim here. And and I love um, Zainab Jaws, Josephine. You know, Josephine's character is royal, but that didn't save her either, you know, that mm-hmm. you know that her father was a chief. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and, and also I, I wanted to go back to Carla Dur- uh, Durham's Sophie and that Sophie, uh, you know, that beautiful voice within her body, every step she takes is painful. We see the pain in every step. And so she's almost like a metaphor within within her body, within that character. So anyway, back to the first question. Um, <laughs> about Well, what, you've actually um, answered your first question, actually, um, about the... Oh, uh, well, that's what you think, too? Oh. No, well, yeah, because um, you have Sophie who's actually physically ruined, but her attitude isn't ruined. Um, ah, I think that okay. she, she lives through the song. Uh, I don't want give to it, give it all away, but, you know, she she lives through her songs, and um, she there's a hopefulness in her music and in, in her voice when she sings. And um, and that's that's even through, you know, just the, the African people of uh, the Congo. To go through that, and still come out with music like High Life and and, mm-hmm. and all these dancing and still and still smile. It says a lot about the people. Um, so, uh, but to answer your second question, um, the Salima uh, monologue um, that was actually um, Lynn Nottage actually found her place. She said in a um, a story from an actual um, refugee named Salima. And in the real story, she actually, the the father, I'm sorry, the husband and the children were taken away in the real story. But she actually put it, she put a number of different stories together to create uh, Salima's monologue. So that's what, that's for the, uh, yes, the second question. Now, what was your third question? (laughs) Oh, I was wondering if the, uh, you said that as a part of your preparation uh, as you would develop in the character, uh, the the, um, the director had you all listening to uh, women talking about being raped, and and I was wondering if any of those particular um, stories were from Eve Ensler's, because um, she's gathered stories of women that were raped in in Congo. Right. Well. Uh, well, there was yeah, there was a, there was actually a real Salima. That was the one I was telling you. About. Well, specifically, um, yeah, I don't yeah. know that it was. Eve's um, uh, uh, narratives, uh, but uh, uh-huh. there are many, many um, clips on YouTube uh, that come from documentaries and different things that people have done. Um, yet Eve is doing her uh, her own specific project that she's, you know, to raise money and awareness. Um, bless her, you know, um, uh, because of, of, of that. But the, the, the whole um, idea of ruined um, in this play specifically it is a metaphor, but it is specifically uh, the idea of a woman having uh, developed fistula or uh, genital mutilization through the mm-hmm. act of uh, rape as well as, uh, um, in, in this instance, to be brutally uh, honest, um, uh, being mutilated through use of a gun or bayonet or some outside source. Um, that mm-hmm. is physically what has happened to Sophie, that character, but ruined as okay. a metaphor um, 
and 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 when that happens, there is a a thing that's created. A fistula can happen uh, through childbirth or a, a young a person being too young to have a childbirth, and and their genitals get mutilated that way. But in this particular uh, act, it is a vicious act done on this young girl, um, and as a result, um, women can't uh, hold um, their bowels or their urine. Um, uh, in a way, and so as a result, uh, these women are stigmatized because they smell or they literally are are, are physically damaged, and they can't, um, you know, they they're, they need help. They need medical help. Um, and if they're fortunate enough to uh, have uh, access to a clinic that uh, helps to repair uh, damaged um, uh, genitalia. Uh, then it's a wonderful uh, thing, but it takes sometimes five, six, seven operations uh, to do so, and sometimes even after that, uh, it's still they cannot do it. It, it can't be done. So it's it, it's it's a horrible, horrible thing. Um, but ruined as a metaphor, um, the spirit uh, is damaged, is ruined. This land is ruined. The you know the idea of family is ruined. There are so many things um, as metaphor that that stands for um, that you know, like you said, one can just open their minds and see it all there um, as as to what that is. Um, uh, the the as far as our research goes. Um, we saw many documentaries. There's a, an amazing uh, book called Le- uh, King Leopold's Ghost that uh, yeah, speaks about yeah. yeah the uh, journey of the Congo. Uh, you know, centuries. You know, throughout this whole the the century of it, um, back when uh, Leopold uh, sort of created this uh, nightmare, <laughs> yeah. uh, mm-hmm. for lack of a better way of putting oh, it. The women, uh, we watched uh, many documentaries, one of which is called Lumo, which is about um, uh, women who uh, are at a uh, clinic uh, to get these operations. And it's centered around this one woman, Lumo, who um, uh, who has been ruined. And uh, she, you know, th- th- her journey with these operations and these other women uh, to see how, you know, they interact with one another, um, how their spirits live. Um, these women who were all away from their villages, who were, I guess, for lack of better, fortunate enough to find a place to uh, get help, and yet their hearts of where their spirit lies, um, being ostracized from their communities and hoping to get repaired so that they can go back. And the mm-hmm. idea of people wanting to go back and losing their home, um, you know, even with being rejected, even with the possibility of getting raped again. Um, you know, it just shows the spirit of a people, you know, uh, and that's part of it too is people come through and rape your land and um, people um, in the Congo are very attached to their land, you know, as long as, uh, you know, um, the voice, the, the, the language is spoken, the spirits stay alive. And if you're forced to be refugeed or taken away from your home, you know, that's devastating, Uh for, for people, so their ruined is is multi layered in this piece, and um, you know um, it's an amazing, amazing piece. And it, and I, I I say to you that it's something that we're all peripherally aware of, but when you're confronted with it, um, there's no denying. You know, um, you you may not have an answer as to what to do, but once you know, you can't not know. And so 
just having consciousness, I think, uh, in a lot of ways can help us um, find solutions, if that makes any sense. Right, yeah. And, so and, um, in closing, um, oh, sorry, go ahead, um, Oprah. I, I think everything that's going on um, uh, with um, women being ruined and the land being raped and all these atrocities, um, this happening in 2011 presently, um, that's one of the reasons why um, I get my drive for even doing the play. Because um, to, to to strike awareness and um, thankful so much for Lynn Nottage for writing a play um, that speaks speaks of such magnitude and also uh, creates awareness. Um, I I remember I think it was actually another radio station or no I think it was a newspaper article I was reading and it was a civil rights leader and the civil rights leader um, uh, someone asked him a question. And asked him, why do you, you know, why do you march? What's the, what's the point of protest? And uh, he said that I march and I protest to create awareness. And when people are aware, they, they, they can change things. And um, this is kind of like, to me, uh, my way of protest, um, doing the play, um, making people aware of atrocities that are going on today. Um, with these women and just hoping that someone or a group of people and, and we have some organizations right now that are fighting um, but yeah. it, takes, it takes a village um, to raise you know it takes a village to raise, to raise a child and we have a number of children you know that are going through this and uh, I think it's so important and that's one of the things that drives me every day um, I guess the nine show week uh, nine shows a week to do this play. Mm-hmm. You know, they, people ask me, "How do you do it?" I mean, how do you just go out there and have the same emotion? Well, I just I remember those women. I remember the women, and I remember stories of mothers uh, being raped by their own sons and um, grandsons, even raping their grandmothers. Uh, these militia tactics in order to control, um, which is sickening, um, but. It, 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 there has to be a change. There has to be stuff, and that's one of the reasons why I think that Lenardish put um, the character Christian into play to let people know that um, there are a number of Christians within um, a lot of the countries that are experiencing mm-hmm. this, and maybe we need to we need to fund these Christians. We need to create programs around these Christians so that they can spark hope and empowerment. Um, um, to, the, to their communities and to their villages. Um, and it, it, it's not really just a man doing it, but I'm just saying theoretically, you know, the Christian uh, is the, is, uh, could be, a, you know, a woman, you know, within mm-hmm. these villages. Um, and most importantly, a woman, because, you know, it, it takes, uh, the, I, I forgot the, the, the term, but it takes a, um, if you want to educate a village, uh, you educate the women. That's that's a term that I actually grew up with. Um, my parents are actually from Ghana, Africa, and that was a term that they've always used. Um, and it's it's quite true. It's it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, I just really think right. that people need to take time to to read. Now, don't just listen to us. Go on the internet. Mm-hmm. Read about what's going on. Read about you know these uh, video game systems that. Because um, I remember, around, like around 2000 or so, or 2000, no, 1999 or so, Colton was about maybe $49 a pound. And then 
when a video game system came out around in 2000. I'm not going to name the video game system. It jumped up to 200, um, $275 a pound. And obviously that that says a lot, <laughs> you know. So well, you can important. see we can go on and on about all yeah. of this. I know you have a show Are you sure you don't have an extra two hours We can talk about this <laughs> Well <laughs> actually I have a class and they just came in <laughs> All right, and, uh, and I've been telling them like Don't talk <laughs> 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 and They don't know why but, I'm telling them, but yeah um, Gosh it's been really lovely having Both of you on And um, to talk well, about You, you know um, The novices play ruined in, in your characters um, You know Christian and Mamanati, you know, who are just, just like all the other characters, you know, just such a study in humanity. Um, they all are. I mean, even the bad guys are such a study in humanity because they, these, these people exist. I mean, you know, we might not get a chance to meet them, but on stage, which is so wonderful about theater, you know, we, they are here. You all bring them here with us. They are in the room. We take them home in our cars. Like we tell them, get out, but they, they <laughs> ride with us anyway. <laughs> like yeah. some kind of like scary yeah. movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, because they all touch our hearts, even the bad guys, because this, this is real. I mean, this is, like, yeah. happening. Right. Oh, uh, gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally, definitely. The, I mean, well, all the characters are wonderful. Everyone's wonderful. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I was going to let you other... give a shout-out to all of your, you know, to yeah, the ensemble, because it definitely is an ensemble work. Yeah. yeah, brilliant. Well, yeah, thank you so much, Wanda, for spreading the word. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, well, thank you thank both you. so much for um, for joining us. And uh, and um, definitely, um, overall, I'm going to come back through, no <laughs> take problem. my vitamins, and try it again. <laughs> we'll bring people. Well, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm going to bring some person, somebody with me, because I didn't have any company <laughs> sitting up oh, there no. in the all by myself in the corner. It's like, no, don't even come over here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's like, oh, wow. I can't process this. It's a lot. It is a lot. It is wow. a yeah. lot. Yeah. And then you walk out into the hall, and then you see the pictures of, like, yeah. these real women, you know, who yeah. um, have survived this and who are, you know, trying to, you know, live in their country still or go back to their country and stop this from happening. <sighs> yes, a lot, a lot of work. That's pretty. Yeah, a lot well, of work done, and there, and there are ways for people to get, you know, get involved and, and you know, uh, sort of making a difference in in the women's lives, you know, by funding, uh, you know, the various clinics that are doing the repair of the fistula and and other, you know, micro um, businesses that the women are setting up so they Correct. can stay, you know, in in the, uh, you know, in in their home country, like Mama Nadi. You know, she's not getting any funding, but um. Well, she's creating her own funding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's making yeah, sure she. She's definitely yeah. her 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 character is modeled after um, Mother Courage. So uh, yeah. that that character is definitely one that makes a way out of no way and um, capitalizes, you know, on on the wages of war. But uh, but there is the human element in this play that. Uh, that I think mm-hmm. is important, and uh, but I'm excited to have you come back and see what you think. I guess in the next time, let us know when you're coming so we can at least c- oh. give you a hug. <laughs> okay, certainly. Yeah, that'll that, be that'll great. Help. <laughs> a hug from Mama yeah. and I are like And yeah, there's so many, so many twists and turns that we can't share, and it's just oh, it's such a wonderful journey. Um, at the end, you know, I'm, I'm happy I, I took the journey. It's just when Good. you're in it, it's like ooh, I don't know. <laughs> 
but yeah. you can trust. We can trust. We can trust the knowledge. We can trust you. You know the actors and these characters that you're portraying. We can trust that we can gonna come out on the other side, change, right. but we're gonna you gonna we're gonna walk through the world a little bit better because we experience ruins. I'm sure. Yes. I know absolutely. I am. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for joining us uh, over on right, Tommy, Tommy, and I uh, look forward to seeing you again before you close on the 10th of April. <laughs> thank you. Have a wonderful class. All right. Thank Me you. Too. Take good care. Right. Take care. Shout <laughs> out to your class. Uh, yeah, I will. I will. <laughs> Maybe I can get them to come with me. That would be really nice. Oh, great. <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, I'll see yeah, if I can make a field trip. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. I have a lot of come with them. More and more that yeah, the more okay. and more people that are aware. Yeah, that's what's important. Mm-hmm. Right. Certainly, right. And we're gonna close with a, a a piece by Sister Beauty, um, called Lioness. You all take good care. All, all right. right, take care. Have a lovely morning. Thank Bye-bye. you, you too. Well, that was ah, that was a nice journey, um, from quite a while ago. 2011, and um, yeah, that play Ruined is is really provocative. Lynn Lodge is a masterful storyteller, and um, I think one of her plays was actually going to be is a part of one of our theater seasons. I can't remember which one. Um, uh, so we'll, we'll see if if it shows up in one of our Bay Area theaters um, when you know as as things move through this very different kind of terrain. So I am going to play the interview with Aldo Billingsley, uh, the director of Theater Justice Project. And then if we have a little more time, we're going to play the interview with um, uh, Jeffrey Greer talking about the um, uh, recovery, San Francisco Recovery Theater's production of Race. And both of these plays are virtual on Zoom, and they both are on Friday, June 19th. Um, the only thing about the difference is that uh, the play that Aldo is going to be speaking about is just that one evening. The play that Jeffrey is going to speak about, it's Thursday, it's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Hi, Aldo. How are you? Doing well. How are you, Wanda? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. When I heard your your name mentioned last week um, at the other playground uh, play, the rending, the rending room, the rending floor, the rendering cycle, the rendering yeah. cycle. Yes, I'm like, oh, so Aldo has a special surprise. It has something to do with Juneteenth. Well, maybe he's a good person to talk to because <laughs> I wasn't able to make that meeting. I think it was Monday, right? The uh, the playground um, forum. Right, right, the town hall. The town hall, right, right, yeah. I was so busy, I couldn't make it either. So, oh. uh, <laughs> so Jim announced it, but I didn't. Um, uh, Wanda, can you send me an email real quick so I can send you some stuff back? Oh, sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, no problem. Okay, let me do that. Okay. All right. Um, like, do you do you need me to do that before we talk? Um, I, I can I can do that. We can do that after we talk. Um, oh, and no, I can uh, do that as we talk if you want me to. Okay, that that's cool too. Okay. Um, I, 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 there's another call at 4:30 ish that mm-hmm. I got to be on, so I want to make sure I can get all the information to you 
Um, so uh, here's the story. Oh, 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 yeah. Uh, can you record this? Yes, I want to. Yeah, I want to record it and broadcast it. So you tell me when we're starting. Like, okay, here we go. <laughs> so Eric King uh, oh. is is uh, is a great guy, and he uh, has in lots of ways, and so he just makes a space for some of the black theater artists that have worked in his theater to get together on a Zoom and talk and connect and, uh, and, and some of each other for the first time. We've done a show two years, um, uh, uh, including uh, Lamont Thompson, who played Dave in Black Odyssey on the first round. Mm-hmm. He was all and and uh, uh, um, Sophia Frederick was on the call and Margot Hall and Donald Lacey and mm-hmm. uh, uh, gosh uh, oh, I'm trying to think of all the people that were there it was it was a thing of beauty um, and uh, uh, we're talking about um, uh, oh uh, uh, Dawn Troop is is on the call. Mm-hmm. And Liz Carter, um, Elizabeth Carter is on the call. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, anyway, there's a, there's a, there's a bunch of us, and and uh, Lance Gardner as well. And so we're talking, and one of the things that comes up is Margot Hall says we need somebody. What we need is um, a, a GoFundMe for Black Theater. We need a go black. And she said that, and I said, well, you know, um, less than a week before, Jim Kleinman had called me to talk to me about the statement that he was putting out for Black Lives Matter. And as an associate producer at Playground, he wanted to run it by me. And I said, well, Jim, I thought you were calling because – you're going to tell me that the play that you commissioned, Polar Bears, Black Boys, Prairie Fringed Orchids, was a play that we needed to do a reading for this moment. And, and as soon as my phone rang, I looked and I thought, oh, that's why he's calling me. Mm. And he said, that's not actually why I'm calling you, but you know. And then we started talking. And then we kept um, we kept talking. We kept topping each other with uh, – you know, uh, well, we could do a reading, and it could be, uh, you know, a co-pro of a reading between the Hanford and Playground. Well, yeah, but it's so important. Other theaters might want to join in. And, uh, you know, I just had this uh, – uh, um, I've got this invitation to talk uh, on Monday with uh, actors uh, with Cal Shake, and, and so maybe Cal Shakes, and yeah, and, and <laughs> maybe uh, uh, Marin Theater Company, yeah, and maybe – Maybe Aurora, yes. And so we start rattling off these names of theaters and uh and then said, Well maybe maybe it's not just the Bay Area thing. Yeah. Maybe we're reaching around the country. Yeah. And <laughs> uh so um uh two two men with families and a whole bunch of other things to do, uh decided to, to uh launch out on this raft. And uh, uh, and we start floating on down the river. So um, the first theater to say yes uh, after the Lorraine Hansberry was Cal Shakes. And then 
was the Aurora, and the Aurora said, you know, we have these community conversations. We had one planned, but this seems like it would be a good one for uh, Aurora Connects for Friday. Why don't we, we uh, get you on? And I said, all right, well, um, I just got consent from the playwright that we can do this. How about I come on with the playwright and we both talk? And he said, great. Uh, so uh, Josh Costello moderated, and we did that. And then, uh, uh, and then more theater and more theaters came and uh, uh, I don't think I don't think there's anybody in the Bay that has said no. Mm -hmm. uh, um, now outside the Bay, there's been some no's, and you know people who don't know uh, me or don't know Vincent or or. Uh, uh, but uh, what we decided was we would do we would have the one theater do the reading mm -hmm. uh and uh playground is uh, uh, uh taking a bite uh out of their budget to pay for all the actors to mm -hmm. pay for the stage manager mm. and the director and then getting equipment to all the actors so that they can use green screens and we can make this look as uh, fluid as possible and uh, give as much of a of an atmosphere of you being in the theater as is possible when you can't bring your behind into the theater. Uh, so, uh, uh, and then all the other uh, theaters would uh, push out the word to their patrons and they would come in with $100 for the playwright. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, it just has grown and grown. And uh, then we started reaching out to uh, theaters across the country and uh, some of the bigger theaters have been the slowest or slower to respond um, because uh, of what, for whatever reason it's they're not um, as nimble as the smaller theater. So the, you know the, the the big theaters are like aircraft carriers and the small theaters are like little speed boats. And oh, some of them you know I've been contacted yesterday by somebody who says that they could put one on two days from now. So. Um, uh and uh uh and it's been really remarkable we have uh um uh, productions in albany new york um in uh tampa um possibly orlando um uh houston um chicago uh and several in la um Got contacted uh, yesterday from Idaho, um, and uh, so all of these people doing this play, which is a fabulous script, and I'm going to be sending it to you, okay. uh, which with uh, police violence against black bodies, which deals with sex relationships, which deals with uh, 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 gun laws, which deals with um, uh, the uh, environmental sustainability, which which deals with um, uh, gentrification, which deals with um, adoption of, of uh, children of African descent by white couples, um, uh, and and has a, a leader from the Black Lives Matter movement in the script. Wow! Uh, and 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 a, and, a, and a mother who's lost her 12-year-old son uh, to police violence. Uh, so. Um, uh, it is a fabulous script that 
it's hard to believe I could say all that and then say it's also a comedy. What? But yeah, you know what? I, it's I, I, funny? I just, what? There is some funny stuff in there that I was like, okay, yeah, I can help it. That's just funny. That's just funny. So mm. Uh, mm. Um, we, we, I was uh, – I was with my my uh, uh, friend and colleague in South Dakota, uh, uh, driving from South Dakota, uh, from Yankton, South Dakota, to Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, we get in the car. We're going to start this long road trip. And I thought, this is when I'll have a time, enough time to read the play. And I start reading. I wasn't in six pages before I said, all right, stop, turn off the radio, listen up. I'm going to read this play to everybody. You have got to hear this name. Mm-hmm. And we have. And we testified, and we uh, hummed, and we uh, moaned, and we uh, gasped, and uh, uh, and we and then we couldn't stop talking. Mm. Uh, so I did the the uh, the play as a reading um, at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in August of last year, oh. and the hopes that they would think about putting it on their stage mm-hmm. and in uh in 2021 and they weren't interested uh they they uh they they thought it had merit but they weren't interested in making that jump uh and uh when i and when i came back that was the first time that i i talked to the playwright vincent then we met um briefly we saw each other really at the uh playground gala and uh and then when this came up uh i said Listen, I, I, we have to talk about this play, and and uh, he was like, okay. He, he wasn't really sure about what was, but he said, you know, and this is this is this is what I'm thinking and how it could work, and uh, uh, and so we put a cast together, um, and it's a it's a fabulous cl- a cast. Uh, Britt Frazier, uh, that you uh, saw in Home, mm-hmm. at. Uh, at the Lorraine Hansberry, she's going to be in it with Carrie Path and uh, Michael Ray Wisely, um, uh, Rodney Earl Jackson, um, and, uh, uh, Patrick Russell, and uh, a, a, a newcomer to the stage, uh, this uh, uh, real sweetheart of a young man named Gabriel Q. Solomon. And uh, his mother is a professor in Santa Clara with me. Oh. And, uh, and so <laughs> He's been, and uh, uh, her, her name is Dr. Brett, B-R-E-T-T, Solomon, mm-hmm. and uh, and she uh, um, uh, uh, does uh, uh, work on incarcerated individuals and their families mm-hmm. and impact of incarceration on their families. And, mm-hmm. and I was telling her, I said, you know what, this play, this is going to be an easy one for him because you have a young boy who's interested in the theater, you don't want to put him in something too heavy, too hard, too quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, you know, there's some stuff in here that would be good, but uh, it, some, some of the stuff will need some conversation. And she said, he's all for it. So mm-hmm. uh, we have a cast. Uh, Peter Quo from ACT is directing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and our stage manager is Sarah Gasser. Uh, and uh, – and, um, and the number of theaters, you just—it's it, just—it's hard to fathom that uh, we've got that many theaters um, involved, but we do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let me see. 
how many that where that is. Um, the number from the Bay Area is now 40, 40 mm -hmm. Bay Area uh, okay. are involved. Mm -hmm. And then it is outside the Bay, uh, um, brings the total number up to uh, there's 20, 21 outside the bay that are, well, I say that, uh, that are, are either in or still considering and trying to figure out if they can make this work. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's, it is transcontinental in from Tampa, Florida to Portland, Maine, to oh. Chicago, mm -hmm. Orlando, uh, Eugene, Oregon, nice. uh, Tampa, Houston, Albany, D.C., and a, a bunch in L.A. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, wow. And so, are you a part of Playground? Are you on their board? Or I'm an associate producer of Playground. Okay. I, uh, watching Jim Kleinman do what he does, and was trying to figure out how he does what he does. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I realized it's because he don't sleep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> The magic sauce is, uh, 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 no, he, 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 uh, you know, he's trying to balance it too. His son's going off to college and, oh, wow. and, uh, and his, and he and his wife and, and, uh, they're one and, and, uh, and here I am with my daughter in college and my wife and, and her career. So trying to, trying to balance that thing and, mm -hmm. and do it. The, um, and fortunately I have a wife who will say to me, uh, Aldo, it's three in the morning. Come to bed. Uh, so, <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I would have never, ever thought that I would have to tell, uh, you know, when I was in, when I was a, a younger man, uh, that 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 I would have to have a, a beautiful woman remind me that I need to go to bed. That mm -hmm. I would never have to, that I needed that in my life. Right. Um, but it's a good to have that balance. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. So. Um, where does the title like tell us a little tell me a little bit about Terrell Durham um Vincent Terrell Durham and and the title of this play is it's it's you know the the, the different juxtaposition of these of these 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 uh these images polar bears yeah. black boys and prairie fringe orchards i mean we got this alliteration going a little bit too but what do they yeah. have to do with each other yes uh uh Bears and black boys, you get those three Bs, right. uh, um, and and it makes for better business. And that's a bureau that he's around. Uh, oh. He is uh, he is around the business world in that uh, he is um, he's a recovered accountant uh, who has uh, who decided that the accounting wasn't making him, and uh, he needed to be playwriting, and so uh, uh, he started to focus on the playwriting full time, and. Uh, and uh, and then the Lord helped him uh, uh, capture the moment, and uh, and uh, unfortunately, it was for another moment. And uh, but uh, we have repeated ourselves again uh, with uh, unarmed people dying at the hands of police. And uh, so uh, uh, he said he wrote the play, um, and Vincent is a smart. Funny, uh, used to do stand-up uh, uh, guy, 
who uh, said he wrote the play to start the conversation. And uh, he said, but now that the conversation started, he wants to make sure it continues. Mm-hmm. And this going to keep that conversation rolling. Um, so he, in this play, the uh, one of the lead characters, Molly is an environmental attorney who has uh, stopped working as an attorney to raise newly adopted black infant son. And uh, so she's been stopping at the bookstore to learn more about that. And there is a black woman at the bookstore named Shamika. And uh, she and Shamika become friends. And uh, uh, and then uh, she joins the Black Lives Matter movement. And she's a charismatic leader there and thinks it would be a good setup for Shamika. But also that leader is uh, they're struggling to connect with the mother of the most recent victim of police black bodies. Uh, and so uh, she has invited the Black Lives Matter leader, and she has also invited the um, uh, uh, the, uh, the woman from the bookstore, Shamika, and then the mother, mother, Rita Dupree, the mother of Elijah Dupree, who has been killed, uh, she invites them all to her dinner party with her husband. Um, and while they're there, she proposes that uh, as an environmental attorney, she knows how the federal government can react. And she says, well, I think we should declare black men an endangered species. Mm. And then we can protect. And Tamika goes off. He's outraged. She's offended. You know, that the, the comparison to animals is outrageous, uh, and uh, she's uh, extremely insulted. And the mother, Rita Dupree, says, do it, whatever it takes to make them stop hurting us. Mm. Because I've seen those clips where a wild bear goes into a neighborhood and people feel threatened, and they shoot it with a tranquilizer. And they take great care not to hurt it. And then they transport it delicately by helicopter or whatever to get it safely to where it needs to be without killing the animal. Mm-hmm. And that the treatment of the animals is shows more kindness and respect, more care for, the, for that creature than they do for that human. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she says do it. And that's Polar bear is an endangered species. The prairie-fringed orchid is an endangered species, and so is the black boy. Okay. Nice. Nice. Wow. Wow. That's great. And and when were you um, in the, in this uh, road trip? Was that, like, earlier this year? Uh, no, that was last summer, or, uh, early last summer, sometime oh, in, okay. in last year, June or, or July of last year. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, before COVID. Okay. No, it was. It was <laughs> which, which feels like about 10 years ago. I right. Think, but it was. Yeah. Uh-oh, I don't hear you anymore. I'm still here. I, oh, uh, I realize I have to get to this other, other call now. Okay, sure, uh, no problem. This has been really super. Um, do you think uh, I might be able to speak to the playwright? Yes. Uh, um, when you send me uh, that information, I'll send you uh, 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 send me your email. 
and it'll remind me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I did. Okay, thank you. Um, mm-hmm. I will get on that and send it to you then. Thank okay, you. sure. All right, no problem. Thank you, Aldo, for fitting me in, and I look forward to seeing the play on Friday. This is going to be really exciting. I sent the um, the email to your um, Santa Clara address, right? Oh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I'll look for it there. Okay, super. Thank you. Thank you, Aldo. Ah, <laughs> uh, so that was a that was a great conversation earlier today, and now we are going to conclude with another conversation that I had after the conversation with Aldo um, with uh, Jeffrey Greer, and I'm going to read you his bio. Um, just because I want to tell you more about him. Uh, let's see. Jeffrey Greer is the executive director of the San Francisco Recovery Theater. And I'm going to read you this really nicely um, written um, story about the theater. In the midst of San Francisco's Tenderloin District, where homelessness, poverty, drugs, and the misfortunate have congregated and for the most part um, are ignored by city officials, uh, is the home of San Francisco's Recovery Theater. The Recovery Theater is a grassroots organization with lots of local and some municipal support. It is funded by grants from the art and health community in San Francisco with no full-time staff but with a core of dedicated actors composed mainly of people in recovery. Its mission is to meet people where they are, provide a medium of communication, and deliver a message of hope, consequence, and solutions. Uh, Jeffrey Greer, director, he heads the San Francisco Recovery Theater, and he hosts the Mr. Jeffrey Show, an online show that focuses on the issues, concerns, and events of the Tenderloin community. Um, Mr. Greer has extensive theater experience along with many years as a group facilitator at various San Francisco treatment centers. He holds a degree in psychology from San Francisco State. And, um, yeah, we had a really great conversation about uh, David Mamet's play, Race, which um, I told you about maybe a couple of hours ago. So now, finally, <laughs> you're going to have an opportunity to um, to hear this great conversation. And then, again, the play uh, is going up at 7.30 on Friday via Zoom, and the, colla- uh, the co-collaborating organization is Piano Fight in San Francisco, and you can get a link to uh, the virtual venue uh, on Piano Fight's uh, website. And I link to it here at um, at, the, at the radio show in the description. So here is this great conversation with Jeffrey. Enjoy. Hi, Jeffrey. How are you? I'm doing okay. How you doing? Oh, I'm good. Great. Um, I'm really looking forward to our conversation about race. Okay. Yeah. Uh, where you want to start? Um. Well. Uh, I haven't. I didn't even know it was on on Broadway. Uh, I just I knew it from from the ACT production, and wow, it was it was riveting. Um, the sister who who played you know the um, 
you know, the character who was trying to um to move up in the company. She was she was very good. And uh yeah, and I'm really looking forward to to seeing your production and you said that it's stellar as well. And I was just wondering why um you know, why now and uh and you know, recovery theater does you know, sort of push the limits around topics and themes. And so I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about the choice of this um this particular play and and maybe you talk a little bit about the playwright. Okay. Well, things, you know, um uh, uh prior to the pandemic and to um current shootings that had taken place, um Recovery Theater uh in January, I think I think late December, January, we were looking for something to do that was a little bit different. We didn't have a ton of money. We wanted it pared down, something real clean and easy. Um, well, easy as far as uh, set and staging and that kind of thing. Yeah. And we could concentrate on content um, and, uh, you know, skill of the uh, actor. And, you know, it was more of a, like a you know, personal training thing. Now, I had seen race. Um, it opened December 2009, actually. Um, uh, it was at the Ethel Barrymore Theater. Um, and quite frankly, uh, the playwright, David Mamet, uh, who also wrote uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, um, has very good text. And it was an interesting push for us because we wanted to see uh, even back then, before all of this other stuff had popped off, we, we had been always having a discussion, you know, white people had all said, well, what can we do? What can we do? How can we help? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and I, first of all, I've got to say praise to my brother, Marvin X, and my sister, Adelia Zinga, you know, uh, you know, who came up, you know, technically brought me into the fold and wised me up. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought we always think we're wise, but people can always teach you. At any rate, um, the concept of the addiction to white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Now, when you say addiction, and then you say white, and then you say supremacy, it's a, it's, those are words that are almost cause people to flinch. It doesn't matter whether you're black, white, or whatever. It's just, you know, addiction. Oh, my goodness, no. And then white, oh, why are you talking about white people? And, you know, supremacy, what are you trying to say? You know, those are, those are like, like, like words that, 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 that hit you at your core. And until you actually process, until you really understand that sociological and psychological diseases are as devastating as physical diseases, as we have seen evidence of very clearly. And um, this play, I picked this play because it gives anybody the opportunity to really understand and see what systemic racism is. A lot of people don't understand how institutional racism, you know, is, is visualized, you know, unless you've experienced it. You know, and what is the long-term systematic uh, racism that, that continues in the process of trying to uh, elevate or improve yourself? And a lot of times we can't see it until you see it in a reflection. And recovery theater has been long known for providing a reflection. 
of real life, which is why I picked this play. Um, when it was presented, it was uh, the, the female role was done by Carrie Washington, um, James Spader. Oh, really? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. In the Broadway production, Carrie yeah. Washington played uh, James Spader, played the lawyer. Okay. Um, Rich, Richard Thomas, who you may remember, John Boy on uh, Little House on the Prairie. Yes. Uh, yes, he played the uh, other white guy, and the third, the other lawyer, was played by David Allen Greer. Mm. I think you may know him. Yeah. And so this all. Uh, they opened on, uh, like I said, December 2009. And uh, I saw the play. I saw it. I, I, you know, I went and saw it. And then I went back. I went back and I saw this play probably six or seven times. Really? And, uh, I went and saw it. Yes, I went and saw it in New York. I was in New York at the time. I went and saw it six or seven times because it was just, you know, it was one of those plays that had such a grasp to it. I went to the, I went to the, to the show. The audience was primarily, well, every audience was, was a little different, but New York audience, no Broadway audience. It was the classic, a lot of older Jewish women and, and, and white folks who were in there to come see this play. David Mammoth is the you know, Broadway darling. And, you know, but this was one of those plays after the, after the show was over, curtain went down. It's like nobody left the theater. They didn't leave the theater, and there was this buzz everywhere you went. People were talking. Well, what did you think? How did it do? Did it, you, I mean, it created a conversational buzz, and it was like everybody was discussing what they thought, how did it affect, was it real? I don't know. Blah blah. It was all of these questions, and I said, you know, regardless of what you think of the playwright, um, or uh, you know, subject matter, as an art piece that creates conversation and creates a provocative state of mind he's doing his job mm-hmm. so I thought about it for a while I didn't think about it then I went and saw the uh, the, the production they had over at ACT right. and um, then they also did it down in the peninsula at some theater down there okay. and um, um, we were just recovery theater was just kind of in between productions we just wrapped on um, another run of Reflections in Black and we were looking for something to do. And, I, you know, I didn't have, I don't have any money. And so I said, all right, well, let's do something that's small and trim down. It's only four characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it runs about 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we managed to focus. And we were, we were blocking and we were rehearsing. We were ready to stage up at Piano Fight, right, in San Francisco because it's a small, intimate theater. We're going to uh, open up in a 50 seat theater. Mm-hmm. And we're going through all of this. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, COVID hit. All the theaters shut down. Everything was done. We couldn't even rehearse. I'm like, time, all this money, all this energy. I mean, all this, you know, money time mm-hmm. into, into rehearsing. What are we going to do? And uh, one of the guys in the, he said, well, you know, you, can, you know, people are starting to talk to each other on Zoom or Skype. Skype has good sound, but Zoom has a better overall reaching because you know you have a lot of people that you can just like like put on there mm-hmm. so anyway we started rehearsing via zoom and i got the concept to present this play via like uh remember the old playhouse 90 modality uh where it was all of the drama was 
based on the character. It, there wasn't tricks. There wasn't a loud noise. You didn't have a whole lot of CGI. You just had a stage. Oftentimes it was just black and white, maybe three chairs, a table, and, a, and somebody in there, and they would work it out. That was like the first Twilight Zone, you know, one step beyond, that kind of thing. Um, anyway, so we used Zoom to rehearse, and I blocked via Zoom. We did uh, notes. We did all of this stuff via Zoom and got accustomed and, and familiar with it. And I didn't realize that we were one of the first to do a production via Zoom. I didn't, I didn't understand. I, I thought everybody was doing it. And it turned out that, you know, there's a lot of folks are just, just you know, just now kind of getting hip to it. Mm-hmm. At any rate, um, so we decided to go forward and do this production. And during the time when the pandemic was hitting, and we were just beginning to understand, okay, good, you know, we got this piece, you know, we're going to do it. Everybody is sheltering in place. It's all going to be done virtually. And all of a sudden, my man, um, was it Amadu, I don't know, whatever, the brother that got shot in, uh, where, you know, the dudes followed him down the road while he was jogging, and then they shot him. Yeah, Ahmad, right? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ahmad, they got Ahmad, right? That popped yeah, off. Then all the other videos started showing up, mm-hmm. right? And uh, then, of course, we had George Floyd, right. you know. And then we have this, my man, uh, what's his name, uh, in the Wendy's. He just got shot. Yeah, you and, know, then, and then they have the young, you know, they have the woman, you know, who was shot in her, I think she was, was she asleep? Um, oh, you Brianna, know, Bri- Brianna Taylor. Taylor, she was sleeping. And all of these things started coming to the surface. And these are the ones that we knew about. These are, these are big names. This was, you know, Philando Castillo. All of this stuff was big time, was, mm-hmm. was big. Then other video and other evidence started coming out of, 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 of how, you know, we have been telling people for decades, you know, centuries, really, but, you know, more recently, decades that, this has been happening. This is not new to us. Mm-hmm. What's new is you finally get a chance to see what we're talking about. Right. And, um, you know, it became apparent that for some reason, I'm not going to say it was a divine intervention. I'm just going to say that, you know, the stars lined up. And we were doing this production about race mm-hmm. and the conversation of race and how race is an integral part of our survival an existence here in America. And this is as American as apple pie. Um, anybody who sees this or anybody who's had an interaction with a law office or the system will know exactly how this goes. Anybody who's tried to get a job, anybody who's climbing the corporate ladder, anybody who's worked, you know, a regular nine to five, they'll know exactly what is implicated in this piece that we're doing. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, um, it, it, to me, it became, you know, it wasn't a deviation because, you know, we, we, you know, we look for writers. We like to promote black writers, black actors, and black theater, and that is our, that is our stem. We are a black theater company. But that's, that does not mean that you can't tell our story from many different perspectives, you know, these are critical times as far as we are concerned, I, myself, and Recovery Theater. These are very critical times. We need the cavalry in every, kind, every, every capacity possible. Now, you know, as, as Brother Marvin would say, you know, uh, you know, we got some John Brown white folks. Come on. They, they have to picnic too. You know, we need, who, we need whoever is going to help 
change this situation. Mm-hmm. So I would urge everybody of every walk, every or it doesn't matter, man, woman. Oh, and it deals with uh, deals with a very good perspective on sexism. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. It deals with that. So um, I think it's a very provocative play. It gave it a chance for the actors to expand, and for those actors that you know haven't had a lot of stage time, this is a this is a very very craft well crafted piece. Um, and it's just. Once again, uh, I think we had this conversation before when we were talking about reflections in black. I think there was something else had jumped off when, when mm-hmm. that came in. It's, it's just once again, you know, uh, social society has basically paved the way for us and given us the direction that we should go in. It mm-hmm. just so happened that we were rehearsing this and we were up and ready to run. So... We will be uh, presenting uh, in collaboration with Piano Fight. For those of you that don't know, San Francisco. Um, we are going to be um, live at 730 uh, via Zoom. Um, you can just log in there. There's a password. Um, I don't know what it is, but I've got a password there somewhere. But you can go on. You can, you can search. And... <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me look it up while I, while I run off at the mouth. <laughs> is is it a free production or or is do people need to get tickets? Well, we it, it, we're asking for a donation, mm-hmm. of course, and we were hoping that uh, we're hoping that people will log in. You can log in for free. We're not going to, as in all of our uh, recovery theater productions, we're not going to turn anybody away. We uh, we're we're fighting for survival. And uh, all black theaters are not just not just recovery theater, and so you know uh, people. Well, what can we do? What can we do? And I had to say to myself, well, send a check. That's what you can do. Send a check, or participate, or here it is. Uh, so 7:30 on on Juneteenth, Friday the 19th. Just go on Zoom and log in, and the password is one five two nine nine one. So for those of you that, that, that need to remember numbers, go 152-991. So, uh, and uh, it, uh, if they go on to Facebook and look around and, you know, or or look me up, we can always send it to you or go to, it'll be posted on the Piano Fights website as well. Um, so, yeah, that's our plan. We will do that. It will be showing uh, live via Zoom on Friday. And then we're going to have a subsequent uh, rebroadcast Saturday at 7.30 as well, and then Sunday late in the afternoon, probably around 6, 4, 6. Mm-hmm. And um, we're hoping everybody in the community, Bay Area community, tunes in. We'd love to hear your responses. We'd love to hear your commentary. Uh, love to hear your thoughts. And um, love to have you like SF Recovery Theater. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was um... – I was reading uh, from the program, uh, the ACT program, because I didn't see it, um, you know, see the play online. I mean, not online. I didn't see the play on Broadway like you did, and I didn't see it as many times as you saw it either. But, um, yeah, I was just sort of uh, sort of trying to skim the, um, you know, some comments that the uh, the playwright made. And because uh, this play, I think, 
was um, 10 years ago that it was at ACT? Yeah, yeah um, in 2010. And I was wondering if you could um, maybe tell our audience sort of what it's about, like what's the plot, and and and, and what do you know about about David Mamet, um, I know that he he's from Chicago, and um, and and this play is kind of a a shift in his 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 um, political thinking and allegiance, um, so to speak, because he even dedicates this play to Shelby Steele, who is a controversial um, scholar out of Stanford University. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about first the plot and then you know sort of some of the political ideological threads sort of running through the playwright's mind as he writes this. Well, um, I think that, and you know, I've looked up a lot of uh, David Mamet's, you know, statements and, uh, you know, his allegiance and all of that. And um, I, uh, you know, I'm not a fan of a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And Shelby Steele is certainly not on my radar, you know. Yeah. He's definitely in the rearview mirror as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and so all of that has, you know, as an artist, as an artist, you know, you have statements that you want to make. And so when you would take a per, take a production with a person that has political views and slants, and, I mean, it's what we do as African-American black people here in the United States. We take what is given us and repurpose it to fit our needs. And um, my vision was to take this and repurpose it and fit the needs of recovery theater and the black theater community as a whole. Um so so let me just kind of, I guess I want to put that out there as a disclaimer. Um, David Mamet, though, is a well-known, he's, I don't know, he's about uh, 70-something years old. He was born, he was out of Chicago. Um, he has done so many, so many uh, plays, and he's, He's uh, a well-known playwright. I mean, Speed the Plow, The Anarchist, you know, like Race was we're saying, that, that debuted in 2009. Ricky the J, um, probably his, his most, the uh, Olenia, that was off-Broadway. The, uh, the, the most famous piece that he did was Glengarry Glen Raw. So and that, that was a work of art as well. Um, so that's pretty much it. I mean, he is, you know, he, he, you know, without getting, getting way, you know, I don't want to go, go too deep into David Mammoth because, you know, his, his slant and his view, everybody, the, the, the listeners and anybody else can go look him up and see what he said. He, he mm-hmm. you know, he, he's not, he, he's one of those people. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but we, we have to take sometimes what we have and make it. If the piece is good, the piece is good. The mm-hmm. text, now, I don't know if he purposely did it that way. I just know how I interpret it as a writer, mm-hmm. director, producer, and performer. Right. I have to, you know, there's certain pieces that we take that are classic works, you know, the same way we would take a Shakespeare piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned this from uh, 
the word slanger, Adelian Zinger. You mm-hmm. take pieces that have been classically done and you repurpose them and make them yours. You make these shoes fit, you know, mm-hmm. because you have to sometimes. Uh, the words and the text for this particular piece was very fitting, especially during these times when you have so many confused white folks, you know, and they're, 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 they're very confused. They are victims of the addiction to white supremacy as well as many black folks. You know, this, this sociological malady that we see finally raising its head has, has put so many people in a state of confusion for those that don't know they are addicted and have this, you know, have this this entitlement that was just bestowed upon them from the word go, and they don't even understand why. This is a this is kind of like a primer. This mm-hmm. is give you an indication. This is what you have, and this is how you treat people when you quote don't know it. You know, mm-hmm. you've had a had uh as, as as someone so eloquently put we've we've had an outbreak of Karen's going wild on the internet, you know. We you know, we we you know, they accelerated from barbecue Becky to uh now we got, you know, Karen, you know, the Pacific Heights Karen, we got the whatever, the other Karen, now the police officers are scared to go to eat the hamburger joint because they thought for sure they were being poisoned and mm, you know yeah. And then in, in Alameda, there was, you know, this black man dancing. Black men, black people can't yeah. dance. You know, he got yeah. arrested for dancing across the from his apartment in a park. He got dancing from across the street from his apartment because, you know, you cannot hold a civil conversation with these people. They have, they have already come with a predetermined end, the confrontation or conversation. So we need to understand the mindset. And, you know, this is a primer. This kind of gives you a mindset as to what uh, what we have here. And also, in, in, you know, we have a – I understand why why Mammoth dedicated this to Shelby Steele because there's a Shelby Steele character in this play, and uh, he becomes exposed very clearly. Um, I don't want to give away the end, but, you know, we're in a different climate now. We're in a different theatrical climate and artistic climate. And, you know, we don't know, you know, uh, 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 the beast in charge is, is, is determined to not only turn people loose uh, amidst, amidst a, a climate of, of disease and, and, you know, communicable uh, ailment of epic proportions, you know, mm-hmm. so much so that the whole, you know, that the city of Tulsa is begging, you know, many people are begging for this fool not to come there, but he's determined, determined to come to Tulsa and have his rally, you know. Uh, what this this does is provide the mindset, the blind mindset uh a view, an opportunity for us to look at that that mindset that creates that kind of uh, environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I also like the fact that it deals with that subtle line, that line between sexism and racism, and how does that get blurred? How does the line get blurred? Um, and it becomes very clear. And the position. And black females are put in as they climb 
the corporate ladder or just work, period. And especially, you know, once you cross that that line from being, you know, a, a minimum wage worker, you know, with all all your people to to moving into management and moving into a career, all of a sudden your brothers, your sisters, your family, or everybody you know disappears. They fall by the wayside, and you're wandering into uncharted territory. And if you're unfamiliar with wandering in the land of, uh, as they say, walking amongst the English, you, you know, you're subject to fall into pitfalls. You need to know what the nature of the beast is. Mm -hmm. And it was a very, very good lesson for this young lady. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, right. it's well worth seeing that. That alone is mm-hmm. uh, worth the price of admission, as they say. Right. Yeah. And then how you started the conversation with referencing, um, you know, our addiction to um, to white racism, to racism. Um, you know how to recover from that. You know, which is a book that. Marvin X wrote, you know, the 12-step program, recovering from addiction to white supremacy, um, you know, to racism. Um, yeah, and, and I was just thinking, um, you know, it's interesting that this particular setting is a law office and all of the characters are her attorneys. Um, and, and just sort of looking at the policies that those in this profession you know how they you know you can ignore certain laws um and and they don't get implemented right um because you know there are a lot of good laws but if they don't if they're not if they're not used if they're not practiced then they might as well not exist exactly well i, I was listening to um they had some you know one of the black district attorneys or something or you know retired police captain or something from philadelphia Mm-hmm. And he really eloquently put it. He said, you know, there is the letter of the law. Mm-hmm. There is the spirit of the law. And then there is what is right. Could leave it there, you know. Mm-hmm. There's there's what's right. Yeah. There's what's right, you mm-hmm. know. And surely, you know, an example is, of course, a drunk, a drunk, should not fight the police, you know, and should not take the taser, should not run across the parking lot, and should not shoot the taser at the police officer, mm-hmm. you know. However, if we look at the position uh, and we stop and think that what is the purpose of uh, an officer in our society and that is to protect and serve, protect and serve, and it's kind of like being a waiter. You take the job as a waiter knowing that you're going to come in contact with the public, general public, and the general public is often very, very cool and ignorant a lot of times, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're going to, you know, a lot of times when you're a waiter, you, you, you end up taking, taking abuse, People want to get water three, four times. They don't like the ice cubes in the water. You got to go change that. Why did you bring the food too late? Why did you bring it too early? And, you know, who's running this? I mean, you know, you're going to take this. They don't like the, the restaurant. They take it out on you, you know. And if you're, 
you're, you're wearing an earring or something like that. They're going to cut you out because they think they're questioning your sexuality. If you're black, they don't want you to wait on you. If you're a woman, they're not. They're going to talk crazy to you. You know, try to feel on your booty and all that kind of stuff. You know, and so, but you go in there knowing that there's the possibility that this is what you're going to run into, and to be flabbergasted that a person would run from trying to be uh, put into a police car should not be shocking. And um, you kind of have to have forward thinking and then, you know, okay, well, you got the man's car, you got his driver's license, he's been there for 30 minutes. I mean, he's drunk. So you could have gone and had a hamburger, a cup of coffee, smoked two cigarettes, and just looked at the driver's license and gone and picked him up in about an hour and everything would have been fine. But, you know, our ego gets in the way. Ego. And, um, well, I didn't want to kind of transgress too far off into that, but, <laughs> you know, our our delusion, it's kind of like when the Rodney King thing first jumped off. Do you, I don't know, you remember that. You know, some of these kids aren't, aren't, aren't that's amazing that they're, we're so old that they don't remember Rodney King. But mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. the Rodney King incident, and everybody looking, oh, he must have done something. Mm. He must, it, he must have said, there's no way they would do that. You know, he had to do something. You mean that's what, that's, that's what people, that's what people in our community were saying? That's what white folks were saying generally, and there was a lot of black folks too. Oh wow! So been, uh-huh. We have been. There's a lot of black folks mm-hmm. that have been just indoctrinated into white is right, mm-hmm. and they don't even know white is right. They just say, well, that's the system. They they wouldn't beat him like that if he didn't do something, mm-hmm. you know. But we, you know, our condition is to think. Well, it doesn't matter what the man did. There's no, you know, ain't nobody supposed to be beaten like that, right? You know, what are you, you know, what makes that okay? Mm-hmm. You know, what and where makes that okay? And that is, that is the concept and that is, you know, the, the addiction to accepting this kind of treatment, you know, and to rationalize and make it okay. Our tendency is to rationalize and make it okay, you know. And so recently, people have taken it upon themselves to say, you know, I don't feel like I don't feel like taking this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. fortunately, the brother in Central Park had his camera, and everybody got to witness this woman getting ready to. Well, I use the word loosely, woman getting ready to at another time in another place that bird watching. That black bird watcher could have been another Emmett Till. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Had 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 he just just imagine had he not had evidence, had he not had a witness, had he not had a camera, he just had the voice of a white woman in mm-hmm. a panic mode. He's he's coming after me, and he's looking, you know, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Right. Well, the Scottsboro boys, you know, we look at those those youngsters. You know, they didn't do anything, yeah. but they all went to prison. Mm-hmm. And then you think about oh, the Central Park Five, right? Central Park Five. We could go you know, on it. Yeah, know what we yeah. Know about. Right. And we then, know about. and then more recently, you know, we were talking about Ahmed um, 
you know, uh, Avery. And, and they, they chased him like he was quarry, right? I mean, they're running after him with their guns. And they shoot him when he can't go anywhere else. They, I mean, that's like, that's something out of, out of a film, almost. Well. A horror film at that. It is, it is a horror film. And it is, this is, this, here's the concept of the addiction to white supremacy is so Mm -hmm. we we have become as a human race, Mm -hmm. as a Western, Western human race have become so acclimated to this kind of treatment behavior mm-hmm. that it has become normal. Think about it. You have a video cam. We have footage of a man jogging. A truck turns to the side. He avoids the truck. He goes back to the left. A man jumps out with a shotgun. They wrestle. Shoot him three times. He falls out. By some, quote, quirk of fate, another guy is videotaping the same thing, says he happens just to be there, goes to court or goes to the lawyer and tells everybody, oh, he just happened to be there. You know, that was his whole, I mean, and and people were, people were up to believing that. (laughs) People were up to believing that until it became quite clear. And he knew people. He was complicit. Yeah, he was a part yeah, of it. He was complicit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was complicit. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't even have to go into the George Floyd thing. I mean, how you gonna you know, you stand there for, for, for nine minutes and people screaming, get off the man's neck and you don't do it. I'm but like, well, know, the thing was that, that that other policeman, you know, he I was wondering why no one interfered and it was because this other one, he would have shot them. You know, um somebody was gonna have to die to save Save, uh, you know, Brother Floyd, because oh yeah, they, they, I mean, that was all without a doubt. They, they, they don't, just like this black woman. They had a, a, a um, they had another, uh, what was it, um, a, a woman who was a sheriff. Mm-hmm. Okay, she was a sheriff or a, a police officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was. They, they were on a call. One of the, one of the police officers had a man in a chokehold or something, and she told broke it up. She said, look, you know, you can't put a chokehold on them. You know, let's do this. You know, but she stopped the whole thing. Right. Now, she'd been on the force 19 years. Oh, okay. She was less than a year away from retirement. What happened? They, they fired, fired her? They fired her for interfering while both of them were on the call. Yeah. She saved the man's life. Mm-hmm. This guy was gonna kill this dude through 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 choking, like you know, another one of these choke things, you know. Yes, right. And um, and she was fired. So now she, you know, just because of Brother Floyd and all of these other videos and all of this other stuff coming to surface, they were able to resume her case. And now, you know, hopefully she'll be able to get, you her, know, yeah, her, her retirement. Yeah. Right. But see, I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, how are you going to have in a rational world? Mm-hmm. How is it? How are you going to really, really try to have for a group, a mass group of people that are, for, for, for lack of a better word, have been infected with a disease, much like the pandemic, mm-hmm. and the disease is blind racism. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what you say. 
Wanda Sabir, that's fine, but you are a black woman. You don't believe, or you don't need to be writing nothing. You don't need to be telling me anything. Mm-hmm. You just do what I say. You know, mm-hmm. what are you doing coming out of Oakland? What are you doing contacting? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. This, this, yeah. this, this blind, just like this woman, you know, the, 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 um, the lady who's supposed to be the, um, diversity director I guess, for ABC and she, you know, they, she's supposed to be handling Robin Roberts, mm-hmm. you know, and just and told, turned around and told her, well, look, I'm offering, I'm told you, you know, she's got Robert, Robert Roberts is asking for some more money. Now, Robert Roberts is fighting a life-threatening disease, you know, came out on national TV and everything. And it's been, you know, in the, in the media and, and as a, a sports, you know, well-known sports person mm-hmm. and, has been in the media for earned her stripes, mm-hmm. and I guess she wanted a raise or something. And and the and, the, and now this is a high level executive at, at you know I think it was ABC, mm-hmm. high level executive. She's a diversity white woman, and tells tells Robin tells Robin Roberts, well, listen, I'm just asking. It's not like I'm asking you to pick cotton or anything, you know. Now what kind of statement is that? But we know where where in your mind does that allow you to go there? Right, right. Oh my God. Those are those oh. are those are those are that woman. Mm-hmm. Now here we go. Robin, Rob, was Robin Roberts mm-hmm. ended up being victimized, but the true victim is the white woman. She's really? delirious. She's 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 unaware claiming. Now listen, let's just assume what they say is true. Mm. You know, she's even she's she's unaware of what she said to this day. Well, because she can be you know? unaware, she can be. And then sort of yeah. tying that into these, uh, you know, two people have been lynched in California, Southern California. Exactly. We got Brandon, a whole, we got a whole yeah, thing. it's just like it just keeps on coming, right? I mean, it was already there. It's just now. There is a world view, a world view, you know, directed on on this country and its treatment of African American people, you know, from exactly. slavery, emancipation forward. It never stops. It just keeps on coming. And, and now they found a noose. Now they found a noose hanging from a tree around uh, Lake Mary. Now, when? You know, when was this? This was just the other day. It's all, just, I'll find the article. I'll send it oh to you. Oh, my. I, so now it's in Northern California. Okay. It's all over. Listen, all wow. is, it's all they, they, They've had two or three other people throughout the nation that have been hanged as mm-hmm. well. Oh, yeah. Now, people have been hung. Remember when they were hanging all these, these people that were incarcerated and they would say, oh, they're committing suicide? Yeah. Like, committing I suicide. don't think so. Yeah. Really? No. Yeah, like the person is getting out of prison like tomorrow, not tomorrow, but you know, and they and they hang her, they hang themselves, or she hangs herself, or he hangs himself. Like, no, people are not committing suicide; they are being killed. Well, mm-hmm. and then here's the other thing. Let's mm-hmm. just take it for free, because somebody's going to say, "Oh, you just a, you you know you're a conspiracy theorist, uh, Wanda. You just saying that you know that they 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 did kill." No, let's look at it from a scientific and medical point of view, which is why I took me a long time. Nathan Hare, Marvin, me, and Suzette Celeste had what we had uh, uh, groups that we were running mm-hmm. down there in the Tenderloin called How to How to How to uh, 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 You Know Break 
your addiction to white supremacy. And it was based on a 12-step program. We had these meetings and everything. And people would come and mm-hmm. we'd sit and we'd talk. Because think about this. You know, you have, you have large groups of people that will tell you these people did not commit, these people committed suicide. You have a lot, a half the group is going, yeah, they really did commit suicide. The other half is going, no, nah, they didn't do it. Well, there's also this other line that, you know, we as a people, and James Baldwin said it, to be black in America is to be in a constant state of rage. Mm-hmm. You are in a constant state, just like Michael Jackson said in the, in the, I guess in the Wiz, it's like you can't win, you can't play, and you can't get out the game. You know, mm-hmm. you're stuck here all the time, you mm-hmm. know, watching your life go before your eyes and you can't, you don't have any input. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, much like a soldier who has come back from Vietnam or, or, or Iraq for the more recent folks, you know, and they're suffering from PTSD, you know, we are constantly suffering from a PTSD syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we call it persistent, it, persistent traumatic slave syndrome. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, like yeah. it doesn't go; it hasn't gone away. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So, our purpose, or let me put it, you know, more more specific to me, my purpose, you know, as you know, director and executive director of San Francisco Recovery Theater, and and, and an artist and, and performer, is to provide this vehicle of of clarity mm-hmm. of understanding and really the best the best the best thing to say is of clarity it's clarity mm-hmm. I always want to provide live performances that provide this thought to provide this opportunity for a person to look at self-evaluate think and get the tools to make the change. Change is always possible. Right. Change is always possible, you know, but if you don't take the step to understand, as they say, the first step, you know, you have to first admit mm-hmm. that you got an issue. You have to first admit that the issue is there, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Yeah. And Yeah. I want to add, you know, add- yeah, I want to add um, sort of in closing to our conversation, you know, back to that um, that article in the playbill for ACT uh, 10 years ago. <laughs> uh, you probably already know and you might have even read it that um, that Mamet, he wrote uh, in 2009 in the New York Times article, we can't stop talking about race in America, uh, the lies we tell each other on the subject. He uh, he writes, what has our 230-year national experience been but a dialogue about race? Race is intended to be an addition to that dialogue, his play that is. It is a play about lies. All drama is about lies. When the lie is exposed, the play is over. For just as personal advantage was derived by whites from the defense of slavery and its continuance as Jim Crow and segregation, so too personal advantage, political advantage, and indeed expression of deeply held belief may lead non-whites to defense of positions that, though they may be momentarily acceptable, will eventually be revealed as untenable. 
that's the end of that quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we 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 as artists, and there's a call out to the black theater community nationally mm-hmm. that this is a time for us to come together. This is a time for us to rally our craft and whatever you do, a one man show, a street on the corner, or whether you're on zoom or who knows when they're going to open up Broadway or any other theatrical, but whatever vehicle, whatever modem you have, whatever medium you have, it isn't a time to stand and be heard. This is a time to continue to vocalize. And, um, Anyway, this is my little contribution, and I'm going to have something after this. After race is done, we're going to come up with something else, and I'll call you and let you know about that. Yeah, right that'd be now, super. Okay. Right right now, tune in on Friday at 7.30, and um, you can go to the to Piano Fights website, and they'll, they'll have all that stuff posted up there and get right on. Um, or you can uh, remember the uh, – <laughs> <laughs> so does the piano fight have I'm looking um I'm looking at the piano fight right now virtual venue to see if it's in the calendar cuz I'm thinking um that hopefully that um that there um oh yeah there it is um it's right there so if you go to I'll I'll link to the piano fight and the okay. um it tells you it says please log on here you just click it and then the password is right there, 152991. So it's exactly. really easy. So I'll just put a link to our conversation because I'm going uh, to broadcast it today maybe and then rebroadcast it. So I have it right there, and I'll also put it in my pics online. Oh, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can, shoot me an, um, shoot me, you can shoot me an audio file or shoot me an, uh, oh, certainly. Shoot me, uh, a, link, a link to your to our uh, thing because i got Got a couple people in Hawaii that say, I want to listen, but I don't know how to get on it. Oh yeah, certainly. I'll send you a link. No problem. That'd be that'd be great. Yeah, and I really well, look I forward like to seeing story. this because it's been a long time. I had to like, what was this about? I remember there was a black woman, and there was a, these attorneys, and and it was really unscrupulous. You know, she was trying to move up in the firm, and and what they wanted her to do is like what, like what. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, in, in this version, and I'll just give you a little clue. In this version, I paid special attention mm. to that piece. Okay. You know, be, uh, you know, between the woman and the uh, the other lawyers and mm-hmm. what her position was. You know, and it, you know, in most productions, they get stuck. And this is in real life. They get the black women mm-hmm. get stuck in the background of a firm. They're there, but, you know, they're kind of off to the side, okay, well, we'll let you handle some of this, and, you know, some of that, blah, 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 but, you know, they're just kind of there. They're not, they're, you know, you know, you know uh, for, for, for the major part, you know, we have some women executives that are great, but for the major part, you know, we're not even, you know, we're not, we're, we're not visible, especially during this time when it was written, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Kind of like I was looking at, I was looking at all the, the mayors that they had. I was like, I didn't even know we had that many black mayors, you know, black female mayors. I was like, what the? When did that happen? Mm. So, 